have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chickie Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 Three six seven five. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is common sense. food shortages, supply chain breakdowns continue to have a domino effect on everything, especially food production. Farmers can't plant as many crops now because of fertilizer shortages, forced regulations, and of course, high fuel prices. This will cause more painful food shortages when we run out of the food we're eating now. You know, food takes time to grow. So when farmers don't plant, well, months later, we don't eat. That's why you need to prepare for an increasing number of food shortages. And the best way is to invest in ready-hour emergency food from My Patriot Supply. It's a perfect hedge against skyrocketing prices and shortages. Right now, save $50 on a four-week food kit from My Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and get your $50 savings on a four-week emergency food kit that average over 2,000 calories per day. That's preparewithsouthernsense.com. Those who know what's coming are getting prepared now. Well, if you don't want to type in that whole big thing saying preparewithsouthernsense.com and you're on my website, which is Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense, as in commonsense.com, you can easily click on My Patriot Supply and go directly to the website and get your $50 savings. As I'm telling you now, those who know what's coming are getting prepared right now. Shouldn't you? Prepare southern-sense.com. That's southern-sense.com. Click on My Patriot Supply. 
do it now. All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeart, Facebook. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the center, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least mostest, Annie, the radio chickadee, along with my co-host, who is back for at least today. Ha! Huh. So fancy, fancy, mister. <laughs> welcome back, Curtis C.S. Bennett. Curtis, welcome back for today. Oh, we got, we forgot to unmute Curtis. Where'd Curtis go? Oh, sorry about that, Curtis. Got to pay attention oh. to the studio. <laughs> welcome back. Yeah, I, I was just so mesmerized by what you were saying. But like ah. I said, I'm, I'm moving on up like the Jeffersons. <laughs> So it's going to be another week and a half before I get in the new house. Uh, well, you're going to have to send me pictures. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Ted Yoho has been filling in nicely for you, so he will be back yeah. with us uh, next week. Uh, trying to debate whether or not um, we do one the day after Thanksgiving. Traditionally, we don't uh, because, you know, people are traveling. They don't get a chance. So we may put together something uh, uh, that will automatically play, but... Uh, Normally, we don't play uh, the day after Thanksgiving. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyway, yeah. we got ourselves a rocking show today. We've got a lot of great oh, yeah. people that are going to be joining us. Uh, we're going to start off with Eric Carson. He's an author of a book out called Switched On. It's about his time uh, working for the federal government. He was a former U.S. diplomat as well as a special uh, agent, and he also hosts his own podcast called Switched On Life. Uh, with Eric Karen. So he's going to be joining us. And then my old friend, Gregory Wrightstone, you remember him. Uh, he has that book he put out called Inconvenient Facts, a counter to Al Gore's uh, uh, Oh, yeah. About, Inconvenient yeah. Truth. Yeah. Inconvenient Truth, yes. So his is about climate change. At the time, it was called climate warming, climate change, whatever they want to do the flavor of the months they're going to call it now. Uh, he also founded the CO2 Coalition. So Gregory's going to be joining us. Uh, and then we're going to have Jennifer Say. She was supposed to be with us last week, but she had a uh, problem, a family emergency. Uh, she was a former Levi's executive. And she authored a book called Levi's Unbuttoned. The woke mob took my job but gave me my voice. And she was a highly progressive individual with Levi's, and she got woke up. Um, they actually fired her because she was defending keeping schools open during COVID, and she got canned. Uh, then we're going to have Greg Cummings. He was with us uh, just this past, but he called in a little bit too late, so this time he should be calling in on time. Otherwise, we're going to kick his butt. <laughs> He's the author. All right. He's got the... Uh, the Continue the Mission book series, and this one is um, a We the People handbook. It's been revised. He's also the founder of a fantastic organization called Legal Shield. And then from the Heritage Foundation, they're sending us from the Heritage Action for America, Carson Stellman, and she does a podcast also for Heritage Action. So we got ourselves a packed show and a lot to talk about. As a matter of fact, oh, yeah. my, my jaw's already getting tired talking. <laughs> wow, no Mark today. Wow, but we'll have him mm -hmm. next week, baby. Tapscott. Yeah, Mark should be back next week. He was he was with us last week, so Mark Tapscott will be with us next week. 
want to welcome everyone that's joining us over on um, my show page, which is on our homepage, Southern Sense. Uh, we also have our video up on YouTube and Facebook right now, so you can join us there. Uh, the links are all on the homepage, Southern Sense. And those are here on Blog Talk Radio in our chat room. So I want to give a shout-out to everyone, including a special shout-out to our friends sitting and listening in the studio, Sweet Sue. So ready to rock and roll, I guess. Yeah. Hello, Sweet Sue. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it has been. Uh, but uh, always glad to have all our friends here joining oh, us. Oh, yeah. Uh, even though they do cause us a little trouble once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, those that listen to the show know that we start off each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is going to go out to Deputy Sheriff Thomas E. Baker III of Nicholas County Sheriff's Department out of West Virginia. His end of watch, believe it or not, was on my birthday, Friday, June 3rd of this year. And this is from the Officer Dan Memorial page that you can find at odmp.org. And it starts off, Deputy Sheriff Tom Baker was shot and killed after he and another deputy responded to a domestic disturbance in the Birch River area of the county. He and his partner were talking to two men who had come out of a trailer. Both men ran back into the trailer as the deputies pursued them and attempted to apprehend them by deploying a taser. Once inside the trailer, the men opened fire on the deputies. Deputy Baker was struck in the back, and his partner was wounded in the leg as they sought cover outside of the trailer. Despite their wounds, they were able to return fire and one of the men was killed. The second man was apprehended following a barricade and was charged with first-degree murder. Deputy Baker had served in law enforcement for a total of 19 years. He was a deputy who found Deputy Sheriff William Giacomo on September 11th of 2000. Prior to joining the Nicholas County Sheriff's Department, he served with the Cowan Police Department, Somerville's Police Department, Raleigh County Sheriff's Department, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons. He is survived by his wife, two children, two stepchildren, his grandmother, and two sisters. And this is from his obituary. And it reads, Deputy Sheriff William Giacomo was shot and killed by a subject whom he had just arrested for drunk driving. Oh, I'm sorry. This is the, what happened to Deputy Sheriff Giacomo, who Deputy Sheriff Baker responded to this shooting. Deputy Giacomo had brought the suspect out of the holding cell at the sheriff's department and was preparing a breathalyzer test when he paused to answer the phone. When he turned back around, the man displayed a small pistol that he had concealed in his boot. A struggle ensued, and the man shot Deputy Giacomo in the head while the deputy was pleading not to be shot. The entire incident was videotaped on the department's monitoring system. Another deputy, Deputy Sheriff Thomas Baker, entered the building several minutes after the shooting and called for assistance. Deputy Sheriff Baker would be shot and killed while responding to a domestic call on June 3, 
2022. And this is from the West Virginia Gazette Mail. And it reads, Thousands gathered at the Somerville Arena and Conference Center to remember Nicholas County Deputy Thomas E. Baker III, who was killed in the line of duty. Before the funeral began, fellow officers, family and friends, and devoted community members patiently waited in a line extending to the bottom of the parking lot to pay their respects. Hundreds seated inside grew near silent as the last group approached Baker's body, closing the casket and covering it with an American flag. As Baker's family entered the room, the crowd stood, then bowed their heads while being led in a prayer. Baker, 48, was described by speakers as a devoted Christian, father, and husband with a laugh and smile that could be recognized anywhere. Many remembered him for having the cleanest car among the deputies. And although he left law enforcement for a time, he always circled back to being an officer. Baker's nephew, Aaron Evans, shared some beloved memories of his uncle, emphasizing Baker's love for being a deputy and for his fellow law enforcement officers. His car was the cleanest in the county. He demanded professionalism and demanded professional appearance, even when it would make the rest of us look absolutely angry every shift, Evan said. He loved his job, and he was proud of his job. Governor Jim Justice declared this the single toughest day he has had as governor. He loved us, and he is a hero who will remain a hero not only today, but forever and ever and ever, like each and every one of you that protect and look after us every day, Justice said after addressing Baker's family. He lived an incredibly full life, and he gave the ultimate sacrifice for every one of us, he said. Following Justice, Nicholas County Commissioner D. Craig Chapman shared his condolences and a story about Baker while reading a proclamation commemorating his service and dedication on behalf of the County Commission. I find so much comfort, and I encourage everyone here to find so much comfort in the fact that we all know where Tom is. Commissioner Lloyd Aiken said, Deputy Baker is patrolling the streets of heaven as we speak. Senator Stephen Baldwin of Greenbrier shared a similar proclamation on behalf of the West Virginia Senate, memorializing Baker's life. Baker reminisced, I'm sorry, Evans reminisced on Baker's numerous jobs after his initial time serving as a deputy, including as a greaser in a strip mine, selling insurance for Aflac and Nationwide, selling cars and working as a bail bondsman, but noted that Baker felt compelled to come back often, and he eventually returned to law enforcement about two years ago. Evans also reflected on Baker's path to faith, telling the crowd that his uncle became a different person when he began following God, praying for those he loved most often. Tom was a different guy after he started going to church and after he got saved. Evans said, Tom was not the same guy that he was prior to. Something changed inside him. 
Pastor Alan Travis of Restoration Fellowship Church, Baker's pastor and friend, led prayers throughout the service and urged those mourning to embrace God and Jesus. The funeral was closed by a policeman's prayer delivered by Nicholas County Sheriff William Nunley and the posthumous promotion of Baker from deputy to sergeant. Amazing Grace was then played by three men with bagpipes and a drummer, followed by the ceremonial last call of Sergeant Thomas E. Baker and the procession. Baker's life came to an end after sustaining a fatal gunshot wound to the back while responding to a disturbance in the Birch River area at 5 p.m. on June 3rd, according to a news release. Baker and Corporal J. Ellison were speaking with Richard Holcomb and Tyler Kelly outside at Canberra when an altercation grew violent, resulting in the shot to Baker's back and another to Ellison's leg. Holcomb later died from related wounds, and Kelly was taken into custody following the incident. He faces a charge of first-degree murder. And this is an editorial by Hoppy Kerchavel, and it's titled, Please Put the Lives on the Line for Us. And he writes, last Friday, Nicholas County Sheriff Deputy Tom Baker was shot and killed, and Deputy Josh Ellison was wounded when they responded to a domestic dispute complaint in the Birch River area. One suspect is dead and another in custody. As the West Virginia State Police conducts its investigation into the Nicholas County shooting, the trial of Joshua Phillips is getting underway in Kiwanak County Circuit Court. Phillips is charged with shooting to death Charleston Patrolman Casey Johnson during a scuffle when Johnson responded to a parking complaint. Baker and Johnson were killed because they were wearing a badge and had taken an oath to uphold the law and to defend their communities. They died because they were holding fast to the thin blue line trying to keep it from breaking. That demarcation is the separation between order and chaos, between peace and violence, between adherence to the law and lawlessness, and is not defended without sacrifice. Data from the FBI show that 503 officers were feloniously killed between 2011 and 2020. 43 were killed while responding to domestic violence complaints, much like Deputy Baker. John Shane, a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, told CNN that domestic violence complaints put police in the middle of highly volatile situations. People's emotions are already elevated due to whatever dispute they're involved in. And now you bring the coercive power of state. People are angry and angry to see you. Know that there's potential to be arrested and incarcerated. Of course, the police are not without their faults. There are plenty of stories of officers abusing the authority, of crossing the line by using their considerable power to become judge and jury. The worst of the abuse give rise to the defund the police movement that led some city leaders to withdraw the support for law enforcement. That has turned into a huge mistake. Police officers have left the profession and crime is on the rise in those communities. In Seattle, because of staffing shortages in the police department, 
the sexual assault unit has stopped investigating most new rape cases involving adults. In San Francisco, voters were deciding whether to recall city district attorney Chesa Bodine halfway through his first term because he is soft on punishing criminals. Alternatives to traditional law enforcement and sentencing are legitimate discussions, but the public's patience for such exercises runs short when people do not feel safe in their communities. Public safety is a fundamental cornerstone of a civil society, and the police are the frontline guardians. This week, West Virginia is reminded on two fronts, the shooting death of Deputy Baker in Nicholas County, and the trial of the man accused of murdering Officer Johnson, that these guardians put their own lives at risk to protect ours. Hoppy Kerchavel hosts Talkline on Metro News. Today's show is dedicated to Deputy Sheriff, or now Sergeant, Thomas E. Baker. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve as our first responders, be they law enforcement firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate the show to all the brave men and women that serve in the military from the birth of this nation through today and into our hopeful future. And we dedicate to each and every one of them this song by my friend, Todd Allen Harrington. My name is America. May God bless each and every one. Because I'm high. 
All right, and we're back. You're here listening live to Sudden Sense on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, oh, Global Enlightenment Radio, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart, Facebook, guy the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. And, of course, I'm the hostess with the least mostest, the radio chickadee, Annie, along with Curtis Courageous C.S. Bennett. Oh, wow, Curtis, we have so much to talk about, so much that is going on, and things are heating up like crazy out there. We are just a matter of days away from the midterm elections. Early voting is, working days. Is, is, yeah. Early voting is fast and furious. Um, it's already there's been some indication, some areas of attempts at vote tampering, uh, questions about drop boxes in certain states. But we'll wait and we'll see what the uh, what the final is. Well, as it all turns out, excuse me. Uh, ooh, I don't know where that came from. I haven't eaten anything today. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but it, it, some of these races. Uh, is being too close to call within the margin of error. Uh, for example, the one between um, Fetterman and um, oh, good lord, brain fart. Doctor uh, Oz. Is that? Yeah, uh, Doctor Oz. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're watching Arizona. We're watching Pennsylvania. We're watching Georgia. Uh, Warnock against Herschel Walker. And, oh, man, if you saw some of the commercials that are coming up on the TV, talk about mudslinging. And then you've got, i got to admit, Herschel Walker um, had his come-to-Jesus moment, truthfully. Yeah, he had a very colorful and uh, yeah, violent past, but he's had his come-to-Jesus moment, and he's uh, turned his life around. But, boy, when they went and they dug up the muck on him and made him look so horrible. And you know what Herschel Walker's response was? He came back and he answered in his commercial because, yeah, you know, I did some terrible things. And he says, I came to faith. And he says, I've turned my life around and I seek redemption. And I think that was a very, very powerful statement. Oh, yeah. It's it's something the Muslims would never do. They would oh, never no. own up to anything, especially Bubba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not have sex with that woman. Or Hillary Clinton with the bleach bit. What do you mean? You wipe it with the cloth? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're not that stupid lady, and don't even try to make believe you are. But she's making the rounds again. She's uh, been clucking out there, the old cow. Um, She's been been raising her her ugly head. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that. I'm putting Hillary Clinton down. I think she's trying to position herself for another run. Uh, that is what it's looking like, because we know Joe Biden is a doddering old fool, a dangerous doddering old fool. Uh, right now, which I hope you're going to be calling, I guess, right now, uh, I want to talk to him about these uh, jets being pulled out of Japan. So go ahead and call our guest, Jane, and I am going to probably play uh, a little clip here. I get, I get a little big Don up here. How does that sound? Okay, I, I don't have his number. Uh, that's the first one on the on the email I sent you. Big Don. Okay. Big Don. 
every morning on time, you can see him arrive. He stood six foot three and weighed 235, kind of broad at the shoulder and fast with the lip. And everybody knew you didn't give no shit to Big Don. Big Don, Big Don, Big Bad Don. The dust and the smoke of this Democrat hell walked a giant of a man that the Patriots knew well. Grabbed a stagging economy, let out with a groan, and like a mighty oak tree, just stood there alone. Big Don. I'm talking about our man, Donald Trump. He's the president now, and all you chumps can just settle down and stay in your safe space. We're about to make America a better place with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don, Big Bad Don. Well, old Don got to work because we got problems to be solved, and the Democrats shouted, the Russians are involved, brought out their special counsel with Robert Mueller. Too bad the wall just got ten feet taller with Big Don. Well, they will lie and cheat and steal and threaten and pander to illegals before our veterans. But we're over these liberals loading our country in a hearse. It's about time to put America first with Big Don. Big Don. Big Don. Big Bad Don. Gonna put these criminals where they belong. We got people like Hannity and Julian Assange and all the centipedes following QAnon. And Americans like me just singing my song for Big Dong. The path ain't easy because the devil's working hard, but we got God on our side and he's playing his trump card. Just remember, my countrymen, to always stick together. Fake news can't stop us from making this world better with Big Dong. Big Dong. Big Don, Big Bad Don. When it's all said and done, America will be great and we'll build a statue just to commemorate a great man with these words on the slate. Thanks to the people's power, a man came from his tower to save America in its final hour. Big Don, Big Don. Big Don, Big Bad Don. All right, and we are back. You're here listening to Southern Sense, and I'm, of course, I'm your hostess with the least Moses, Annie, the Radio Chicken D, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. I want to welcome to the show for the first time, uh, a former government agent, a former diplomat, special agent, host of Switched On Live podcast, and also the author of, of a book called Switched On, Eric uh, Carson. Boy, am I getting myself bass awkward today. Good afternoon, Eric. How are you today? Hey, I'm very good. And uh, It's Karen, C-A-R-O-N, uh, but uh, thanks so much for having me. Uh, oh, all right. See C-A-R-S-O-N, right. All right. So you say Karen. Okay, Carson. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, so when, it, it, it's Owen, but it's okay. Well, I got it spelled it's, right. Strike the S. Strike right. the S. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, anyway, uh, 
your book is excellent, and I'm telling people to check out your podcast, too. Where can people find your podcast? I do have a link on this yeah. kind of. Yeah, switchedonlife.com, switchedonlife.com, and uh, people can uh, look at some of the articles that I've written for uh, the Blue Magazine and some of the some of my quotes in the Washington Times recently and Epic Times uh, relating to the uh, you know Trump Mar-a-Lago uh, search warrant, um, as well as if people need a guest speaker, um, you know, there's a link there as well, but. Uh, you know, I enjoy uh, talking about what it means as well to be switched on in life and how being switched on is a coat of armor and it protects us from all evils in life. So um, it's a little bit of self-help in my book as well. So some more stories, glimpse behind the badge, and uh, a little bit of self-help as well. Ah, uh, yeah, the glimpse behind the badge, which is uh, not a pretty place when you're on the other side of it. As you know, we start off each show with a dedication to a fallen hero, and uh, it comes personal to me uh, because of having to stand uh, in formation while you lay one of your brethren to rest. Uh, anyway, um, one of the things that hit me in the news just before starting the show, as I've got Newsmax on practically 24-7, which probably drives everyone crazy, <laughs> but uh, I caught this bit that now the Biden administration is going to be pulling out the F-15s out of Japan. They're permanently based there. Uh, and then they're going to do it on a six-month rotation. Now, I live in the, in the heart of the Tri-Command here in beautiful Buford-by-the-Bay in South Carolina with the Marine Corps Air Station at one end and Paris Island Recruit Depot at the other end. And we, I know, just living among these men and women here, that that is so deadly and costly by doing that. I mean, what the heck is this administration thinking? Oh, wait a minute, Eric. Here's, here's the reason why. Because we've got the G20 summit coming up, and he's going to be meeting with Z over in the G20 summit. So he wants to look good as if he's giving them a gift. Oh, yeah, they're giving them yeah. China one hell of a gift. Yeah. Well, you know, America America's really in crisis, and that's not hyperbole. Um, we're, and we don't have a leader in Joe Biden. We, we really don't. Um, and... We find ourselves in the first inning of World War III. Now, people don't want to say that, but I don't need Washington to tell me that we're in a recession. And I don't need Washington to tell me, based on what I know, because I can read and I have a pretty good understanding of world affairs, that we're in the first stage, first inning of World War III. And Joe Biden has done everything wrong and now our country is in this mess in ukraine and it's only going to get worse we know that the russians have aligned themselves closely with with china we know the russians have aligned themselves with iran we know that russia is recruiting military officials that we trained in afghanistan are being recruited now by the Russian military. We know that North Korea, there's been reports just in the last 24 hours that North Korea is providing uh, weapons to Russia as well. So Putin's not going to surrender. I mean, or any you know notion of that, forget about it, as they say. And what America's doing is only 
fueling, escalating the war by providing, I think it was up to $40 billion worth of equipment, uh, military aid and equipment and advisors on the ground. Can we say Vietnam all over again? Uh, that's the first thing I said when I saw Afghanistan, when I saw Kabul, and I said, this is worse than the fall of, of Saigon. And I remember sitting at the TV watching it as the helicopters, the last helicopter was taking off and crying. And now to see this happen again in Afghanistan. And that was the very first sign of weakness from this administration internationally. And it's gone That's downhill right. ever since then. Now, That's you, right. And, this, and Putin, Putin, Putin said, hey, you know, look what happened in Afghanistan. Everybody knew, according to Joe, I mean, Joe Biden knew after the Olympics in February that it was go time. He, and he did nothing. Why didn't he get on a plane and even meet with Vladimir Putin and say, Vladimir, we're two nuclear powers. What are we doing? We can't do, we can't, I cannot allow this. You can't do this. What <sighs> is it going to take? And we have the president of France, as you recall, meeting with Vladimir Putin prior to the invasion. Where was the U.S. president? Nowhere to be found. Yeah, absolutely nowhere. But you notice under Obama, we lost Crimea. Now under uh, Biden, we're possibly going to lose Ukraine. But God, God bless the president of Ukraine, Vladimir. I'm going to mess this. I have a bad problem with names today. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think I've got tongue backwards. But, yeah. you know, you've got a Ukrainian president that shows that some leaders actually have a set of solid brass ones. They're actually I could tell you, I could tell you what else we're going to lose. We're going to lose Taiwan because regardless of the results of the midterms, China's going to see this is their only um, viable chance to um, take over Taiwan without the United States really retaliating. Say, for instance, if um, we had a Trump in there. I don't even think they would yeah. dare to invade Taiwan if Trump was in office. But... Um, I think that's going to be the kickoff to the next world war as far as, uh, you know, us getting involved militarily. Well, I mean, you know, as they say, we'll, we'll see. But right now, you know, the U.S. government, the U.S., the American people are a war tired from Afghanistan. And now we're finding ourselves in the middle of a European war, I, we can't sustain two wars, in my opinion, on, you know, two, in, one in Asia and one in Europe. I mean, we're not able, we can't do, I mean, the recruitment right now, as you know, is down. That's we horrible. can't attract, we can't attract good people. Exactly. So God bless us. God bless us if Joe Biden gets us in a war in Asia. It, it, I don't even, based on what we see in Ukraine, I mean, we know that this war in Ukraine continues to escalate. And I'm telling you, we're in World War Three today. But no one wants to say that because, I don't know, we don't want to upset the American people because of the midterm or because it's Christmas coming up. I don't know. But, again, 
I, I'm, I can read, and I have a pretty good understanding of world affairs. We don't need, I don't need the American people, I, I'm sorry, a, 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 a politician from Washington to tell me that our economy is in the tank and that we're in, a, we're in the middle of a recession. No one from the government has said that yet. I mean, if I, am I wrong? No one no. has come out and said, yes, the U.S. economy is in a recession. Everybody thinks it, feels it, but we can't. But no government official from the Biden administration is coming out and saying it. And that goes the same with Ukraine. No one's coming out and saying, knock, knock, we're in World War III um, with Europe taking this side and NATO and America and we have the rest, you know, we have Russia, we have, you know, uh, Iran and China and North Korea aligning with Russia. And God only knows what, whatever other countries are providing armaments to Russia and personnel. I mean, you know, this is big. This is big. We're is. in the middle state. We're in the beginning stages of World War Three. We're actually in the state where we were prior to World War One, militarily and psychologically. You know, we weren't prepared for that. And the yeah. ways that things were starting to broil in Europe, you said, oh, no, they'll, they'll even out. You know, Europe will never fall. Europe there will never go. fall. Well, Europe, not only did Europe fall, dynasties fell. And a lot of Europe, most of Europe, or I should say almost every country in Europe, has never, ever regained the greatness they had prior to World War One, And we are yeah. now, we've downsized our military. We've made them woke. So a lot yep. of these men and women are not physically fit enough to endure battle. Now you're pulling out valuable assets from Asia where it's needed the most. You need, if we go into any sort of a war, we cannot have a rotating deployment into a battlefield like that. You need yep. a permanent base. And what's going to happen with Taiwan? Taiwan's not going to go down easy. I'm sorry, those no. Taiwan Marines, the Chinese Marines over there, they're tough right. cookies. They're making yes. our yep. Marines now look like wusses because of the way our training has fallen so far behind under this administration and this Pentagon. Uh, I agree. It is a very, very scary thought. And as I said, sit, sitting here in the heart of the Tri-Command, you're hearing a lot of this, and a lot of they're they're scared. They know yeah, and that I those have, coming I have... up behind them are not prepared. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have, I have, you know, a stake in this game. My son is in the Navy. He's deployed in Japan. And he's in the special ops section of the U.S. Navy and um, part of a helicopter crew. And so I'm fearful for him because mm -hmm. this president, he doesn't have a leader. I mean... He, you know, Joe Biden's speech the other night at Union Station, um, where I, I lived in Washington for five years, I was, I'm just appalled by it. I'm, I'm appalled that Joe Biden used his office to get up in, in front of the American people, basically said, if you vote Democrat, I'm sorry, if you vote Republican, you're a threat to democracy. And I'm shocked that the American people can't – I'm hoping the American people see through that because, you know, there's a famous quote 
by Al, uh, Albert Camus, D-A-M-U-S, Camus. Quote, the welfare of humanity is the alibi of tyrants. He, he was a French philosopher, Albert Camus. The welfare of humanity is the alibi of tyrants. And it's so true. Joe Biden saying, trust me, I'm going to protect you from the MAGA Republicans. I'm going to take care of you, um, and you know we're gonna uh, we're gonna keep women's rights to an abortion. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna um, you know crack down uh, on these MAGA Republicans and arrest them and harass them and take you know a, a, you know, a direct um, a threat in their First Amendment freedom of speech, um, your Fourth Amendment uh, as well, your right to bear arms. So I'm Joe Biden. I'm going to take care of you. And he's a tyrant. And I think the American yeah. people are going to wake up uh, this election cycle. And we're going to take back the House. And we're going to take back the Senate and, and start taking back our country. Well, you know, he, he, this is not the first time he's, a, he's attacked half the nation simply because we don't go lockstep with the progressive ideals of his party and his administration. It, he's done it numerous times, and he's not being called out for it by mainstream media. But I think yep. that some of them yep. are starting to get woken up. They've, they've, they've taken the red pill. Uh, Bill Maher is a good example of that stunt he pulled about the Halloween costume. I mean, Actually, he had me laughing, but it's so true. I don't know if you saw yep. that video clip that he pulled out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had um, everything where he had a shirt that said F patricide, uh, patrimony, I believe. And then the next thing you saw is, is a check from mommy and daddy to pay for his car loan. Uh, and it goes <laughs> on with the, you know, the crying towel, the wet blanket. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, Kitty cat uh, headphones. You can listen to soothing music, so you can you won't be um, uh, we're, we're triggered. I was trying to think of the word. Yep. You know, it was yeah, really, yeah. really, really funny. And coming from someone that is, you know, an avowed progressive, and I said, well, maybe the other side really is starting to wake up, and maybe they're so. they're actually starting to see. And um, I still run a tea party. And I'm getting members that are coming in now saying, well, we used to think this way, but now, now we're seeing that maybe you guys are starting to make a lot more sense than we thought. You know, the attitude that I'm getting when you start talking to people, it's like, well, maybe you're right. And, you know, mm-hmm. the wokeism and collective humanity uh, is a really good catchphrase until you, you dig down deep and say, well, what's the actual <clears throat> bottom line? What's the reality behind this? Who's yeah, gaining from it? Yeah, what, who's gaining from this? And right now I'm fighting a sales tax that they're trying to put – that they have on this ballot. Um, I actually put skin in the game, and I took out a half-page ad in three of the local papers. And you know that's not cheap. But right. I said I'm yep. p- putting my money where my mouth is, and I'm going whole hog, ripping apart the, the referendum and where all its weaknesses are. And pointing out, hey, listen, we're in the middle of a recession. You're waiting for tourism to take up 40% of this $100 million you're going to tax us? I said, you're not going to see it when we're in a, as you have the full-blown recession hit. You're going to have people yeah. losing their jobs, and you want to charge them more in sales tax when prices have already more than doubled? 
where you can buy a loaf of bread for 99 cents and now it's 3.99? That's tripled. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. But this is this is the wokeism right now that we're facing. And we're yeah. seeing it in our government, we're seeing it in the political platforms, and it's got to stop. It's got to stop and We've got to get people to see the reality. As you said, we are in World War III. Newt Gingrich has a great article that he had put in Newsweek this month. I just picked it up. How my mom gets her Newsweek magazine and I don't get mine. I, something's wrong here, Newsweek. You may be listening. <laughs> i to get my magazine soon. I had to snatch it from mom. Uh, but he's saying the very same thing that you're saying. Because of the, the position over the last several administrations that has weakened our military. We're not ready for any confrontation on two fronts. And we're facing not two, and I'm going to say it's three fronts, because we still have the invasion at the southern border, which is being aided by our enemies. You know, Mexico's not really too much of a friend of ours. And don't forget, Colombia's down there and chomping at the bit. We still have the... Castro's in Cuba, which is being aided by Russia and China. Uh, We've got the European front where we're facing with Putin threatening with nuclear weapons. Oh, I'm sorry. Limited small nuclear. I'm sorry. A nuke is a nuke is a nuke. And then we have what's rumbling down in Asia, and no one's paying attention to what's happening in Africa. Hello. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, I mean, I've traveled to Africa uh, three, four times this year uh, from Kenya to Tanzania. Um, and I'm, I'm, I may be going uh, this year, later on this year, next year as well, for a few uh, training, international training uh, symposiums that I'm a part of in the area of transnational crime. And, you know, my time on the ground there really opened my eyes to the Boko Haram and the various dozens of other terror groups running around Africa, a shadow war going on right now that most Americans don't, don't know about. And we have troops on the ground in about, I think it's 24 countries in Africa, 24 countries fighting the various extremist groups in Africa. Most people don't realize that that last weekend on Saturday, there was two car bombs that went off, killed 100 people in Mogadishu, 100 people. Most people don't realize that our U.S. Embassy in Nigeria just sent out a message. All family members of U.S. personnel were evacuated because of terrorist threats. South Africa, same thing. South Sudan, Sudan, Mali, Etc. 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 Africa is on fire, on fire with Muslim extremists. They wanted to take over the whole continent, and never mind Afghanistan. The CIA just reported 14 terror groups operating in Afghanistan today. Never mind the Taliban government, who's who's. You don't want to. Get, it's the, the numbers are shocking. The numbers are shocking. They're, they have endless amounts of funding from the opioid opium trade and we're looking at what we're looking at one million pounds this year alone that they produced one million pounds of of heroin 
And that's, a lot of that's going, to obviously, to Europe, and it's coming to the U.S. as well. So we're in a world of hurt, both domestically, security-wise, and internationally-wise. I have a, a, a graphic that a friend of mine, Benjamin Smith, the former Special Forces, sent me, which I'm going to put up on the screen right now, because people don't understand the strategic importance of Afghanistan when dealing with China. Because we opened up a bridge between Afghanistan and China, and they ripped it wide open. Why? Mm-hmm. Because Afghanistan is rich in those rare earth minerals. And it's also yes. a stepping stone into the rest of the Middle East. So if, yes. if China has that stepping stone into the Middle East that they are using very well, they now control the caliphate. So we've got yes. a Muslim caliphate being controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. They don't care about you know, supporting the Muslim religion in the Middle East, even though there's, they're murdering their own Muslims in China. What they want is a global control. And now you control True. the rare earth minerals that we need for our everyday lithium batteries, for all yep. our, our little smart devices. Oh, wait a minute. We also need them for the batteries to these electric cars that Joe Biden has been pushing. But yet, yeah, doesn't he and his son have some skin in the game in China? Oh, and yeah, we're all going to be driving electric cars by the year 2035, which will be manufactured in China. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> God help us. God help us. You know. It, it, I guess if, if we want to change direction on, on the Biden crime family, um, we can do that. Um, and the, 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 here, here's the sad reality that we have an unindicted co-conspirator in the Oval Office. That's mm-hmm. pretty sad. That's sad mm-hmm. because, because Joe Biden, quote-unquote, the big guy, um, was involved – in a scheme to enrich himself and his family at, while he was vice president. And you can't do that. An employee of the U.S. government cannot use his official position for his personal benefit or the benefit of others. I mean, this is, this is documented. These are official regulations, um, misuse of position, use of public office for private gain. It's in, it's in the regs, and that's exactly what Joe Biden did. And you know, if I, I think a good analogy, in, in my opinion, is this. What I see, the Biden, the Biden crime family is basically a spider, a spider oh, yeah. that built a web, a web, a pretty big web, and, and they attracted bugs, various bugs. To the, to the web because they attracted businessmen, they attracted and they attracted um, representatives of intelligence services like the CIA, they attracted the Chinese intelligence service, and the Bidens are in the middle. And so my question, really the elephant in the room, and it's going to come out, what did the CIA know? about the Biden crime family, and when do they know it? And, and did they report it as required by law to the Department of Justice? If they know that the Bidens were involved in money laundering and other criminal acts, they're required to report it to the DOJ. 
because because the Hunter Biden, in my opinion, and I, I think I can still say this. I think I still live in America where I have free speech. Well, for Hunter now. Biden more than likely. <laughs> Hunter Biden more than likely was a source, right, for the CIA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 just like and, and so the so so Hunter Biden basically was a source into the Chinese government. Hunter Biden was meeting with whom? Hunter Biden was meeting with various Chinese intelligence officials. One being the chief head of Chinese intelligence that doesn't happen without the cia knowing about it that's right and they're going to protect them too yeah exactly well, it, it, so that's the problem in- that's part of the problem is the deep state is that we cannot we can't as a, as a society as a government we can't allow any government agency or any government agent think they're um immune from prosecution and what they use is, yes, sources and method, or this is national security. We can't divulge X, Y, and Z because it's going to harm national security. I say, you know what, BS, just like the FBI in Boston, when the FBI was running with Whitey Bulger as a source, some of the officials in the FBI knew Whitey Bulger was killing people, and he, was, he himself was involved in criminal acts. You can't do that. You can't allow sources to run amok like that. And I don't care if you're the FBI, DEA, ATF, IRS, Secret Service, Homeland Security Investigations. I ran sources for 25 years. There are strict regulations relating to sources. And what the CIA did, they let Hunter Biden run amok and do whatever he wanted to do because – the ends justify the means. And you're going to see one day this is all going to come out. Now, didn't yeah, Whitey get killed in prison? He did. That's what I thought. He, he did. did. He did. But He lost I, his I, protection. I, I, <laughs> he I lost just, his protection. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, I just, I hope the, I want the American people to, to really understand that our government is at a crossroads right now. We really are. Do we go? Do we continue to to run left? Because that's where we're going. We're running left, and he's been running left from day one, as you saw the executive orders he signed on day one. He couldn't. He couldn't sign those orders fast enough. Mm-hmm. So we're running left. Are we gonna? Or or will the American people turn this 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 ship around and go right and start? taking back our country. I have faith, again, that our, our people, the American people, have had enough. They've seen enough. They've felt enough. Yeah. They're hurting. And so we are going to take back our country. Yeah. Now, uh, our later guest on the show is Jennifer Say, who is the former executive uh, over at Levi's Jeans. And her book was that the uh, Levi's unbuttoned the woke mob took my job but gave me my voice. There's a lot of people that lost their job because of wokeism. And now they're starting to speak out and say, wait a minute, I used to be a progressive, but now I'm seeing what you're doing, and this is not right. This is definitely not right. But, you know, uh, our country is in dire straits right now because we were talking about 
uh, being at war, you know, in possibly coming up from South and Central America, uh, from Europe, from the Middle East, from Africa, and yep. don't yep. Uh, forget China. But we yep. also have a war at our own border. Now, I recall reading an article in the doctor's office. It was either 1989 or 90, because I was still uh, with NYPD at the time. And I don't remember if it was Time or Newsweek. And I, to this day, I cannot find that article where they were talking about the illegal border crossings. And at that time... Back then, uh, under Bubba, um, there were signs at the southern border in Chinese. And I said, gee, that is strange. And they were talking about OTMs, other than Mexicans, crossing the border. And they were finding Korans and prayer shawls. Well, lo and behold, a decade later, we are attacked by what? Muslim extremists. And now, even today, yep. in fiscal year 2022, in the record number of 2.5, Four million migrants caught. They call them migrants, not illegal aliens, as, as they rightly should be called, migrants. Mm-hmm. They're not migrants. Mm-hmm. They're illegals. They've already caught dozens of terrorists on the watch list that we know about. But what about the ones that got over here that we don't know about? That's very scary. Uh, abs- absolutely. I mean, it has been reported, and I have friends still, you know, with CBP and, and down there, and, um, and it's been reported that these Muslims getting into South America and Central America in Mexico, they are shaving their beards and they're trying to look Mexican or Spanish yeah. or what have you. And, and so this is happening. Um, the numbers, listen, I think we, the numbers are staggering. That being said, I think we get lost in the fog of these numbers. I know I've, I've tracked these numbers over the last few years. I get it. Two million, three million, five million. Here's the bottom line. Americans need to understand one is too many. We learned the less, that lesson the hard way on 9-11. Nineteen hijackers basically put, you know, basically just almost destroyed America. They would have destroyed America if they could have. Nineteen so, two million, five million, twenty. I, I, you know, I think we have to understand one is too many. And the number one job of our elected officials—that's the president, the executive order. You know, the he's the executive of the of the country—is to keep our butts safe. And we learned that lesson the hard way on 9/11. And unfortunately, I think we have to learn learn it again because. Because of the sheer numbers of people now, so it's not 19, it's probably thousands. You know, the FBI right now has over 1,000 open joint terrorism task force cases going right now, JTTF. I ran, I used to run Homeland Security, National Security in Boston. Uh, I was a national security guy in Washington. I ran the office in Dubai. I ran the office's office as the resident agent in charge in Providence. So I'm very familiar with JTTS. The FBI has over a thousand cases going on right now. That that should and what is and what is the FBI doing? They're F, the FBI is arresting because the DOJ is asking them to open these abortion clinic cases, civil right type civil rights type cases, if you will, instead of 
focusing in on national security, the DOJ's telling the FBI, we want you to focus on abortion clinic. I, I, I don't know. I, I got limited resources, just like you know NYPD and any police department. Where am I going to put my resources? And mm-hmm. so this is part of the problem. Uh, and we're weak. We are weak right now, and um, both on the national scale as well as the international scale when it comes to our security. So uh, hold on. Hold on, as they say. Yeah, well, I got a question for you. I got a Go question ahead, for you. Okay, the FBI, they're, they're tasked with investigating any crime against any American um, overseas, right? Well, pretty yeah, much, in general, pretty yes, much so. Pretty much, so, pretty much. I mean, but there's other we, federal agencies that may w- work alongside them, depending on what the type of crime we're talking about, because Homeland Security has um, just as many resources overseas. And depending on the crime um, and jurisdiction, if you will. But go ahead. Yeah, there was a major crime, I believe, and that's when we lost um, Ambassador Stevens. Do they consider that a closed case? Benghazi. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because it's kind of a pathos, you know, chuckle here. No, I mean that 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 case. I I'm not sure if that that case is still open or not. Um, you may know better than I do, but that I mean there are people out there, as you know, still still alive uh, and running around um, the Middle East who are responsible for Benghazi. Um, that should be taken out. Um, I know targeters for the CIA are, and um, have their eyes on many of those people um, responsible for Benghazi. So I'm not sure if the FBI case is still open, but I'm sure the CIA case, um, if you will, is still open. I mean, there are people out there who um, should be um, prosecuted or taken out. No, but it's more important to go after the MAGA people because we're dangerous to the democracy. Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Democracy? First off, it's a, re- a republic, a representative republic that democratically elects its leaders. We're not a democracy. We're not a mob, mob rule, 50 plus one. That's, that leads to tyranny. We are a republic yep. for a reason. Yet, we've got an administration that is behaving as if it is a tyranny already. So, no, we're going to go mm-hmm. after the MAGA people, and now all these politicians are being threatened. The uh, vast majority of them are Republicans or conservatives, and they're being uh, threatened and attacked. Uh, the families are threatened and attacked, but it's the MAGA people that are doing this. Why would we attack our own people, <laughs> first right. of all? That, those attacks are not coming from the right. And now this wacko that went after Pelosi's husband – as an illegal alien from Canada. Amen. And Amen. has ties to Black Lives Matter and the LGBT community. Uh, I said, Wait a minute. This, this, the picture is not in focus in this administration, or if it is in focus. <laughs> it's not lining up to the yeah, – it's not lining up to their agenda, is it? So they, so they have to – so this whole – Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Rhetoric. I I I I I have a suspicion. I have a stinky suspicion. That's that's a stretch. I got a funny feeling. I'd like to hear that on a video or an audio. 
Oh, man. Uh, you also brought up a previous guest, uh, Nick Searcy, and uh, a filmmaker put together the film on January 6th. Uh, and, of course, Searcy has a weird sense of humor, so he injects it into there. But it's a sad truth that this was instigated. And I'm sure you had sources that are far better than mine. I'm just a, a talking head sitting here in Beaufort, South Carolina, and I'm hearing two weeks prior to the January 6th rally that there were staging areas. There were vans being parked in certain areas and staged with clothing and stuff in it. Uh, wait a minute. If I hear about this two weeks before January 6th, where were the Capitol Police? Where were the Secret Service? Where were the people yep. to check those vans out and check out why they're being parked for a long period of time in these specific locations? Now, who was that in the crowd that was instigating the people to go into the White House? Who were the officers that were removing the barriers and escorting them into the, 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 the mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not White House, the Capitol? Uh, yep. There are so many holes in that story. And what happens? We've got people sitting in jail for now, some of them for, a couple, for more than a year. More than a year. We've yep. had prisoners that have committed suicide because they could not take the daily torture, the daily harassment, the yeah, lack yeah. of communication to the outside world, the lack of legal representation. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. When Listen, did we you become... know, it's funny. People going to prison, as you know, in jail, uh, you know, I, I used to have to go and, and talk, to, talk to these people. You know, it's like, as you, you know, one day in the can for me, that was enough. I, you know, so any time uh, in the can, um it's too long. Any one day is too long, and you know you're right. These people are, are spending months, years uh, locked up, and um, you know it's a, it's e- it's easy to um, you know lose your way um, because of the stress of being in 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 in, in jail. Um, yeah, so you know you're you're absolutely right. Um, we, we're living in. In, in a tough time right now, um, and you know our borders are wide open. ICE is not holding anybody. You know the latest numbers I saw. ICE almost as many people ICE arrests, they release. I mean, removals are down in fiscal year 2020. Removals were at 185,000. In 2021, 65,000. So we, well, we, so so our country, just like domestically, with local law enforcement, the local law enforcement officers catch bad guys, and they're out on the street the next day. Yeah, yeah, we call it revolving door. But Eric, my next guest is in on the studio here. Definitely have to have right. you back because this. So much more. You're so fun to speak with, and we're coming from the same direction. So I'm not some dumb blonde on the other end of the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, and, and I want your viewers to go to my website and check out Switched On Life. All right, there is a link on the show description, and I will correct your last name because I see I put the yes in there, and Jackie sent me with the correct one. So I, my bad. I'm not perfect, but I'm close to it. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> All right, Eric. Nope. No worries. Nobody nobody got hurt, right? So it's fine. <laughs> right. All right, Eric. Thank God you. bless you for the hard work Bye-bye. you're doing. We'll be talking again. Bye. All right. Take Eric Cars. Eric Karen, check out Switched On for Life podcast. Wanna welcome a gentleman back onto the show. I was his first <laughs> and I'm proud of it. 
Gregory Wrightstone, author of Inconvenient Facts and the founder of the CO2 Coalition, which is at CO2Coalition.org. Gregory, welcome back, stranger. Oh, good to be back with you. It's been forever. You know, that first interview we did together was five years ago. And wow. it doesn't seem like it. And you look younger every time I see you, by the way. But, uh, no, you're so but, cool, no, but I love years, it. But I was five <laughs> years ago. And would you believe that book was still just recently a number one bestseller in a couple of categories on Amazon, just as recently as two weeks ago? Um, so it's Inconvenient Facts. Um uh, and actually, we got we got a problem because I've only got eight books left in my warehouse, and the seventh printing of the book has been delayed. So we're going to run out of books. So if you're interested, you better buy now before they run out because they, they, <laughs> the, the next printing might not get, arrive until January. So that Uh-oh. it's good that Uh-oh. it's good that it's popular, but it's bad if you have people wanting to buy books and there just aren't any available. So, uh, but yeah, there's wanna... a lot to talk about. Well, especially if you uh-huh. want to, especially if you want to put it in the in the stocking of your favorite liberal progressive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but but Anne, there's so much, uh, Annie. There's so much going on in the climate change arena. Uh, just lots of stuff we can talk about, from Greta Thunberg to uh, COP27 that's going on in Egypt now, to Joe Biden wanting to. Uh, impose a windfall profits tax on uh, oil companies. Uh, boy, I, I tell you, you have to look at what's going on. And I, I'm convinced this is all by design. By by all, I mean the high energy prices. Uh, this was this was their, this is what Joe Biden ran on, and he said he was going to put the oil companies out of business. He was going to shut them down. Um, and it sure looks like he's doing a pretty good job of it right now. It is. I mean, day one, he closes down the pipelines. Day one. And now he's he's hammering our our companies, our oil companies, to produce more oil. How are they going to do that when you're restricting oil exp- exploration? You have no new refineries since the 1970s. You have shut down pop- pipelines where they were able to probably help produce more. But no, no, you do everything the exact opposite. And because of your action of the administration under President Biden, because of their action, they're blaming everyone else except themselves. And they're going to penalize yeah, and they're dra- everyone else. And they're draining, draining the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It was created. It's the SPR. We need to rename a Strategic Political Reserve. That that reserve of oil in Texas and Louisiana was not to be politically expedient to drive down prices. It was for a true oil crisis if there was a shortage of it. Um, and he's doing it uh, as a politically motivated a trick to try and drive prices down a few cents, and it's not working. And you're right about oh, yeah. that. Two other things that happened on that first day. He shut down the Keystone XL pipeline. It would have brought 830,000 barrels a day uh, from Canada, Canada into the U.S. On that same day, he shut down the National Petroleum Reserve, uh, which is an undeveloped oil accumulation in Alaska, and the Alaska uh, Natural Wildlife Reef Refuge is probably the largest undeveloped oil accumulation in North America. Um, and these big projects take uh, a decade or more from implementation to, to production. 
And so he's he's not just hurt his short term, but he's hurt his long term. And that's a bad thing for, for America going forward because uh, it, it appears it's pretty easy uh, to put a monkey wrench in the works for the energy system in the United States, but it's not so easy or so quick uh, to get it back on its feet. Because, again, these, these projects they do are uh, – it, it takes a lot of forward planning. And who, who in the world's going to invest billions of dollars into a project that he wants to put out of business? Uh, it, it doesn't make very good economic sense for these oil companies to do that. Yeah, and then he's gonna he's gonna turn around and give them a windfall tax because they're making so much profit. Wait a minute, this is a capitalistic society. We're profit driven, and it's based upon your ability to supply a need. We have a need. It's oil. We we need it for not just driving our vehicles, but for every single item of we come in contact with in our daily life outside of stepping outside of your house and taking a breath of fresh air every aspect in our life requires something from the petroleum industry whether it's in the manufacturing or the shipping or even the components everything your shampoo the food in your refrigerator what do you think those egg cartons are made out of? What do you think the ink on the paper? What about the transportation you need, those tires, the electrical wiring? Everything needs. Everything needs petroleum in one form or another. So when you cut off those supplies, you're not just rising, raising the cast of the, the, the teeth and backwards. I cannot talk today. You're not just raising the price of gas. You are raising the price of every single product and service we utilize in our life. Yeah. Well, let's take let's take another let's take a look at another form of energy, and that's natural gas. It's something I know quite a bit about. Uh, I was oh, I'm not sitting behind you. Very... <laughs> <laughs> hey now, hey now. Um, but it was uh, I was the co-author of the very first peer-reviewed comprehensive paper on the Marcellus Shale of the Appalachian Basin in the eastern United States. Uh, at that time, uh, we, we took a look at it, and we looked at the gas in place of the first of the top ten conventional natural gas fields in the world. Those top ten producing fields, largest in the world combined, didn't equal what was in the Marcellus. That's big. That might give you an indication wow. of the scale we're talking about. The top ten largest gas fields in the world aren't as big as the Marcellus in terms of gas in place. And, and there's a, another one beneath it uh, that's barely been tapped. I think it's going to be bigger. And I, I wrote uh, papers on a, a super giant field above it. And it's it's hardly been tapped. And the problem with there is there's so much gas, and it's rightly called the Saudi Arabia of natural gas there. Uh, all the pipelines are at capacity. So it really doesn't do you much good to produce a whole lot more uh, wells that could produce because they're limited. And New York and New Jersey, if you can imagine Pennsylvania to the south with this huge resource of natural gas, uh, New England needs it desperately, but New Jersey and New York have imposed pipeline bans to prevent that gas. The cheap, uh, reliable, abundant, affordable gas from there, from Pennsylvania, eastern Ohio, and northern West Virginia, to New England. Uh, and they can't get this. They can't import liquefied natural gas, inexpensive LNG, from Louisiana and Texas because of the Jones Act. Now, the Jones Act prohibits 
goods from being shipped from one American port to another unless it's an American-flagged vessel. There are no American-flagged LNG carriers. So now they, they're, they're forced to buy expensive natural gas from Algeria, uh, Saudi Arabia, and other places. It, it just it, – it's unbelievable. And Joe Biden could fix that this afternoon with, with a pen. He could, he could say, okay, we're going to waive the Jones Act for this particular – he did it for Puerto Rico – and he won't do it for Boston and New England. And now natural gas prices in New England are five and six times what they are uh, the rest of just just a little bit to the south. Um, so it's, it's these people are going to uh, really be uh, in a in a, heat, a world of hurt this winter when they're when they get their heating bills. Their electricity prices have already tripled. Yeah. And most of their sixty percent of their electricity is generated from natural gas in New England. Gregory, this is um, co-host yep. CS. You know, there was a time when Ronald Reagan, whenever he had problems with the legislatures over in um, at the Capitol, he would take his case to the people. Now, in that same vein, and I know that the oil companies have a lot of money as far as um, being able to defend the, themselves and their position. I'm always curious why they don't take their case to the people when they are demonized by um, administrations like Biden's by saying, hey, we're not the villains, you know. They're the ones that um, are are causing us to, you know, produce, you know, much to nothing because, for one thing, they, like Annie said, they, they stopped the pipeline the first day he, he got into office. And, and then you have to... Um, also say, well, one another reason why there's high taxes, I mean, high prices on gases, take for instance California, is because of all the restrictions that these states put on these um, oil companies and the taxes and things like that. They need to come out and defend themselves. That's all I'm saying. Take their case uh, to they, the people. They, well, it, it, Imagine, where, where are they going to do that? It won't be on NBC, ABC, National Propaganda Radio, or any of the other mainstream news outlets. Uh, they, wouldn't, they would not do that. They would be betraying their, their listeners and viewers. Uh, it's just the same reason that I can't get on uh, uh, you know, the mainstream news. They don't want to show the true science of climate change that shows that it's actually – we're reaping huge benefits from modest warming and increased CO2. Um, that, that's a problem we all have, uh, getting the narrative out there. Uh, and I'm all ears if you have some suggestions how we can do it, but uh, we're, we're muzzled and silenced. Unfortunately, yeah, because uh, shortly after you appeared on my show, you ended up on uh, Fox News, and now they won't even talk to you anymore because you're not – towing the line that they want you to tow. You're out there telling the truth and they don't want to hear the truth. And, and that's I've, unfortunate. I've been, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now permanently banned on LinkedIn. Um, it was my, my, my very last post. You'll find this pretty funny, actually. It's sad, but funny. My last post, I said, I think I'm about to be banned and be platformed by LinkedIn. They removed it, labeled it false and misleading, and then banned and deplatformed me. And uh, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And, uh, no, you can't. You know, whatever. I just, I, I'm not going to get angry at them. I'm just, uh, we'll get, we'll get the message out somehow. I, and now I'm on this uh, 
uh, huge monster of a of a radio show with Annie Ubellis, and, and now we're getting the we're getting the we're getting the message out now. <laughs> oh man, you know what it really gets me is that they they want to look at renewable energy, and you guys have put together you know some information and and uh, reports on how this is not feasible, especially with today's technology. Uh, so you know we only have like about a, a minute or two left, uh, but why is this renewable energy going to be costing us a lot more than using our petroleum reserves? Or not reserves, but our petroleum that we have here, our natural gas, our oil. Well, it's, it's going to be a lot more expensive. For every megawatt of electric generation we get from renewable, you have to back that up with a megawatt of reliable uh, source from that's either uh, nuclear or natural gas, and so what you're doing basically is doubling the cost of any any uh, system because uh, you can't you can't rely on wind and you can't rely on solar because of course it goes dark every single day. Um, the solar doesn't work very well in, in uh, high latitude areas like Michigan or Maine. Uh, the wind stops blowing from time to time. Uh, so when it, when that when those things occur. You're going to have to have something to rely on to back it up. So you're going to, what you're going to have to do is build a huge amount of, of backup-fired electricity generation capacity that sits idle most of the time except when it's needed. Uh, it's not very efficient. Uh, it's not very economic. And uh, it's ripe uh, for abuses and blackouts. So you know, we, need to, we need to go back with, to what works. That would be nuclear, natural gas, and coal. Yeah. Well, uh, there's so much more to talk about, Gregory. I'm sorry we don't have a lot more time, and you know I love to give you as much time as possible. Uh, But people can still go to the CO2coalition.org, find all the information, and there's a quiz out there. And so far, I'm still getting 100% on your quiz. I'm acing it. (laughs) Oh, you're great, Annie. (laughs) Hint is, say, disagree with all. Uh, well, it's been, I, I'm going to tell you, it's been great being back on with you. We'll do it again here soon, hopefully. Yeah, I had one of your colleagues on uh, just a couple of weeks back because you weren't available. I tried, but every time I try, you know, you're off busy oh. being a big shot. You know, you forget the little people down here on the ground. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You were my first. I always remember you, Annie. You were, that was five years ago. That was great. And you're still good. Yeah, and I, and it, I love it. Yeah, I still I came across part of the video from when you were at our tea party meeting. So I have to get you back down oh. so I can do a better video and get more of your books sold out here. How's that sound? Yeah, do it. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm I'm based out of Florida now, so uh, ah. no, I know I I lost part of my roof to uh, Hurricane Ian, so I got to get that fixed. Oh man. Oh. All right. Well, then we'll be talking to you uh, a lot more often, neighbor. <laughs> All right. All right. Very good. Thank you. All right. Take care. Yep. Welcome, Gregory Wrightstone. Check it out at uh, CO2Coalition.org, his book, Inconvenient Facts, The Truth About Climate Change. want to welcome to the show a new guest. haven't had her on before, but want to welcome her because I loved Levi Jeans. Uh, former executive for Levi Jeans, Jennifer Say. She's got a new book out called, or I'm sorry, book will be released November 15th uh, called Levi's Unbuttoned. The woke mob took my job but gave me my voice. Good afternoon, Jennifer. How are you today? 
I'm great. Thanks for having me, Annie. Boy, talk about wokeism. It's run amok between the time that you got uh, forced out of Levi's to today. It has just exploded. I, I mean, reading the uh, little clips about what was going on with you, it is now magnified many times. Did you ever think it would get this bad? No, I didn't, but I have to say as I was going through it, because I had two full years at Levi's while I was advocating for open schools in San Francisco um, and getting tremendous pushback internally and being warned and being urged to stop. Um, So, I, you know, I certainly got a sense for it while that was happening. (laughs) But as someone, you know, who lived in San Francisco for over 30 years and self-identified as kind of left of left of center, I'll, I'll say and, and sort of thought that what, um, what quote-unquote we stood for was equality, inclusivity, um, public schools, uh, all of these things, I was definitely taken aback that this stance that I took, which for whatever reason was outside of the bounds of polite society if you lived in a, a blue city, um, I was I was definitely taken aback by the force um, of the name calling and the vilification and demonizing that you know that that I got during those two years, both from employees as well as you know the the mob outside of the company who were just demanding basically my head, you know, that I be fired. So I I was I was stunned by it. Um, I will say, you know, I paid attention to it over the last few years, but it it doesn't take away the sting um, when you become the target. Yeah, because you're no longer in San Francisco. You went out to Denver, um, where now they have legalized dope. <laughs> from, from the yeah, fat I think they the were the fire. first state. Yeah, from the yeah fat I the think. Fire. Well, Colorado. We moved. Yeah, we moved to um, Colorado in February of 21 because the public schools were open and my young children were struggling in virtual as they do, you know, try doing zoom school with a six year old. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. So we moved here at first. We thought it would be temporary because I assumed at some point we'd go back. Um, But Colorado has a real, what I would, they have kind of a libertarian streak. I think they were, it was the first state to legalize non-medical weed, as you mentioned, Um, you know, gun laws, abortion laws, basically everybody can do everything, <laughs> get lots of weed, get lots of guns, um, and get lots of abortion. So it's an interesting mix. We do have a Democratic governor, but it, it is very purple. You know, Denver itself is quite blue, but you drive 15 minutes out and it, it's not. And, uh, you know, to some extent, I think the governor has been the best of the Democratic governors in terms of getting us through COVID. And like I said, the schools were open, so that was big. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really ironic, though. In Iron Rand, Atlas Shrugged, she chose Colorado to to bring everyone over there. The little enclave that they set up, Colorado, because they are so libertarian. How ironic! All was six, seven decades later after the book, uh, that it's, it's a good place for us to flee to, huh? <laughs> Go yeah, figure. we like it. I was. Th- yeah, I mean, we really like it. I've been in San Francisco, like I said, for over 30 years, though I'm not from there. But I find people here to be very open and accepting and extremely friendly, which is um, which is also really nice. That's not the case in San Francisco, where people tend to be a bit more aloof. 
Um, but, you know, I've met people here on all sides of the quote-unquote aisle, and no one wants to turn me into Satan because I might think differently than they do. So I'll take it. Well, yeah, that's, that's the problem that we have. You know, it, 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 the rules are for thee, but not for me. So if you wear an American flag and I get triggered, you did this, you're the bad person. Um, when you had your thing with, you know, keeping the schools open, you were called everything, even called a racist. And you're saying, excuse me, me? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that it's a, it's a, it's a great point. <laughs> um, I was, you know, accused of putting employees in danger for doing this. Meanwhile, we were working virtually. We, we weren't even in the office. I adhered to every policy that my employer set forth, even ones that I quietly did not agree with. I focused my efforts on restrictions to kids. I put no one in danger. Uh, I couldn't have. If we did have a meeting in the office, you know, we were masked. You had to be vaccinated. I did them outside. I, I followed all the rules. Um, but their sort of rationale to this day is that I went against public health guidelines and put employees at risk. Um, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a twisted response, if you ask me, because you can't say, which they are saying, that they supported my open schools advocacy because nobody stands behind at this point prolonged school closures. The results are in. It was a catastrophe. Um, but they don't and didn't support my pushing back on public health. But public health set the guidelines that kept the schools closed and the playgrounds in San Francisco for eight months, for that matter. So it, it doesn't even make sense as a retort, you know, because you can't advocate open schools without pushing back on public health. You know, yeah, everything fun. is violence. Everything triggers. Everything is violence. My words were violence. My words were killing people. Um, that made me a very bad person of every variety, racist, et cetera, um, and, you know, unworthy of employment, essentially. Well, this wokeism has gotten to the point where it's now not just just within the company itself. It's spread out, and the corporate capitalism has now become wokeism. So, you know, the brands, the marketing, uh, the catering to certain segments of society, it all caters to being woke. And the rest yeah. of us are out there going, well, excuse me, what about me? I'm a consumer, too. Where's the stuff that I would like to have? But we're being yeah, I mean, I one mindset. Yeah, I think it's, I've thought a lot about this and why that is, because it would seem to limit, as you articulate, the people that you can appeal to, um, because not everybody agrees. I mean, the, com the, the country is kind of split down the middle. But I think that the, the folks who are making these decisions live in such a bubble that they don't really think that every, you know, that uh, they think their view is the right view and the objective view and the truth. And therefore, um, and at the end of the day, it's an exploitation of social justice politics, you know, amongst young people primarily. And this is a very, these are, these are people they want to be their brand fans and their loyalists and their consumers, especially in fashion where, young people buy more and spend more and have more influence. Um, and they don't realize that there is, you know, half the country that is offended by this. Um, and it, so it ultimately seems destined to fail. And I think 
what I recommend and I write about at length in the book is getting back to what I call normie capitalism, which is market the product that you sell, make the best product you can and sell it at a fair price and market it in as broadly a way broadly appealing way as possible so you can capture as many consumers as possible. Um, it just seems common sense to me that that's a good business strategy, right? Um, not to mention when you're taking all these stances, it crowds out all that other work. You only have so much bandwidth. Um, and so I think the employees also become distracted. But leaders are cowed by employees who are demanding these things. And they're afraid to push back, and they really don't exhibit the courage to push back. They're afraid of these younger employees who are protesting. Well, the problem also is, is that those younger employees or that minority group dictate what happens to everyone else. And then if you That's want to right. keep your job, if you want to be able to put food on the table and go home secure knowing you have a job to go back to tomorrow, you've got to keep your mouth shut and toe the line. So these wokeists are now the tyrants. They're no longer running the – they're no longer the employees answering to a boss. They become the boss of the boss. That's exact. Yes, you articulated that well. And it really is tyranny of the minority because I think – look, I'll give you a specific example – the day after I quit my job, rather than, you know, sign an NDA and accept the severance, I quit publicly so that I could retain my voice. Um, the San Francisco school board was recalled by like 75%. So most San Franciscans agreed with me. Um, and they were recalled explicitly because they failed to open schools for well over a year. Um, but nobody feels comfortable saying that because they fear for their jobs. They don't want to be ostracized and called these horrible names. And this tyrannical minority is very loud, um, but they are, in fact, the minority. You know, most people want common sense policies, um, whether they're on the right or the left. And I think we can all kind of come together on more than we think is possible because it's the very extremes that have the mic and are kind of influencing, you know, but I do believe it's the minority. And we know that 62% of Americans say that they feel they can't say what they really think because they're afraid what would happen. Um, That's not okay. That's not a democracy. That's un-American at the end of the day. Uh, And so I just reject all of it. And I, I became increasingly alarmed during the two years that I fought this about the illiberalism and the you know, suppression of speech and dissent. And I think if there had been open debate and dissent, schools would have opened sooner. That's why it matters. Yeah, it is It is so very important. We've seen the harm that has been caused by these kids being out of school. Now, prior to the pandemic, we already saw that our youth were being disassociated from society because they've been so involved in their smart devices. They've got What's more important to them is how many friends they have on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook (laughs) or whatever the flavor of the month is that everyone rallies around than having actual friends that they can hang out with, you know, go swimming Mm -hmm. with, play ball with, you know, go shopping with. You know, they don't have the ability to have a human interaction. They have to have an yeah. electronic interaction, not a human touch. Human conversation is something they are ill-equipped for today prior to the pandemic. And this has only been acerbated by the pandemic and the lockdowns. 
Yeah, that that's absolutely right. I mean, look, public schools were challenged even before our kids were challenged even before for the reasons you articulate. And then even though before we knew it was bad that they were on screens a lot, we were we were trying to kind of pull them off of that, right? And we knew that they were only supposed to spend a limited number of hours a day. And then during school closures and lockdowns, because remember, they didn't have sports either. They didn't have activities. They didn't have playgrounds. They didn't have anything. They couldn't get together with friends and do friend things. You know, they couldn't graduate. Um, Suddenly we told them, yes, it's great. Be on your screen for eight, nine, ten hours a day. And now they're more depressed and more disconnected. Um, absenteeism is at an all-time high, even though the schools have opened now. Chronic absenteeism is as high as 40% in some cities. Um, we, we sent the strong message that they were not essential and that school didn't matter. And it's no surprise, really, that they're not reengaging. And they've gone more and more into this sort of screen isolation, if you will. Um, and it's, it's alarming. I feel very proud that my I have four children and they seem to have escaped that somewhat. We've tried really hard. Um, certainly they have, you know, some screens, but they all have lives outside the screen. And that's a tough battle for parents right now. But it also, you know, the one thing I will add is it made adults meaner. Like the more we're not together talking with each other, with people we disagree with, the meaner we get. It's very easy to be dismissive and demonize people that you are not sitting across the table from. Jennifer. That's, yeah, that's good. <laughs> this is a co-host. Isn't it true from what I'm hearing that aptitude tests um, are way down when it comes to mm-hmm. children who were that's right. um, quarantined from school? Um, how do we remedy that? I mean, these kids are going to be impacted psychologically for a long time, you know, having to wear a mask all the time, being frightened to death for dying, and and not being around yeah. other kids, as as you two mentioned, you know, it's, it's they were traumatized. If you want to ask me, but the aptitude test is what concerns me because it shows that these kids were not learning, and it's going to put a lot of them behind. You know. Yeah, I I would a hundred percent agree with you. Um, you know, those of us who were pushing back said there's going to be terrible, catastrophic learning loss. That's exactly what we've seen. Kids are one to two years behind. And what's dangerous about that is, one, they can't, they don't have the basic skills, the basic literacy and math skills that they need, but they also now disengage. So I think we're going to see, you know, imagine you're two years behind and you're starting high school. You give up. So I think we're going to continue to see this play out with high dropout rates, um, you know, for many, many years. This isn't – it wasn't two weeks, two months, or even just two years because the kids are going to feel this. And then you've also alluded to the mental health impact. It's a mental health crisis. It was on the rise before. It's through the roof now. Depressed, um, you know, the suicidal ideation, um, we've seen deaths of despair among young people go way up. That's both suicide as well as drug overdoses. So it, it requires a concerted effort. And the concern I have is in many circles, they won't even admit that it had an impact, even though the results are in. So if you don't acknowledge a thing, you can't do what needs to be done to fix it. These kids need concerted attention. I would say, you know, 
there needs to be money put into individualized tutoring from the public schools. Um, we could extend the school year. Uh, so they don't have quite as much time off. Um, I've advocated, there's also teacher losses. You know, I've advocated for programs kind of like a Teach for America where you incentivize young people to get involved in teaching. These kids need teachers who are energetic and want to help them get back on track. There's a ton of money um, that has not been used, that was allocated for schools during COVID. I think only 15% of it got used of the federal money. Um, spend that money to invest in these kids and help them get back on track. But in order to do that, you have to admit that there is indeed a problem, and all too many people seem unwilling to do that. You know, there's, there's so much more because even prior to the pandemic, we saw the rise as, again, the wokeism with the uh, the sexualization of kids as young as, you know, four, five, six years old. Uh, this new fad of transgenderism, gender dysphoria. Uh, how would a kid know that they're suffering from gender dysphoria when they haven't even been through puberty yet? Uh, and it is created, again, it added to the compounding of the mental uh, difficulties these kids are having. And when you have a child that is as young as six years old to commit suicide, or she hung herself in her closet, because of what is being fed these kids at such a young age. And instead of getting back to the basics of teaching what is necessary skills to survive and get a job and raise a family and be a productive part of your society, you know, the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, you know, skills that you can take with you to obtain a job, whether it's in accounting or mechanics. We used to have vocational schools, but now everyone has to go to college. Not everyone's college material. Yeah. These kids are being crammed with so much crap that there are no longer any adults left in the room. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say the, the basic skills are not being taught. They're being crowd out, crowded out by, you know, a bunch of other stuff. And we need to get back. I mean, if a child can't read by third grade, their chances of not graduating from high school on time increase fourfold. Um, and we're going to see a lot of that. You know, I've talked to a lot of special education teachers who teach, you know, special learners who've said what they're seeing is kids are two years behind. They used to have third graders who couldn't read. Now they have fourth and fifth graders. Um, that aren't reading. And so these kids, it, it puts the rest of their lives at risk. And if you can't read, you can't learn, right? That's a pretty basic a basic premise. And so, you know, I, I, I agree we got to get back to the basics here and teach these kids how to read, um, make them curious so they want to read more, uh, teach them basic math skills. The numeracy is through the roof. And, of course, the children most impacted are low-income children, um, black children, those more likely to be in, in urban public schools. And so it's been thoroughly unequal, you know, and increased the divide between the haves and have-nots, which is very alarming. Well, that's very, very true. Uh, we have a, a private school, one of the best in the state, uh, right down the street from me. And when the pandemic hit, they were only closed for a very short time. I think it was like just a couple of months. They opened right back up, yeah. and they did everything necessary, the safe distancing, whatever, but they kept the kids in class. 
And when you look at how they yeah. are excelling compared to the public school system, it is a huge right. cry for school choice, a huge cry for that. But what we have instead, we have school boards that are being run out of Washington, D.C., because D.C. says, well, we're not going to send you these federal funds for your school unless you do X, Y, Z. So the curriculum is no longer locally held. It's held through the, the uh, uh, what, do, what do you call it, uh, the, the cabinet position for school <laughs> superintendent. I'm having Secretary a brain fart today. That's Thank okay, you. the Thank Secretary you. of Education, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need Betsy um, Boss back. <laughs> That's what we need. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'm making a documentary film right now about the impact of kids, and we're following a bunch of kids. And I've, I've talked to families in both sort of, quote, unquote, blue states and red states. And it's interesting because you make a really good point, because even in very red districts, the school board take their direction from the National School Board Association, which is is very democratic-leaning. And so – even in red districts, there were significant challenges to getting schools, public schools open. And even when they did, it was with really onerous restrictions that got in the way of the learning. So even the kids in those states where the schools opened sooner have had major setbacks as well. Um, and I was sort of surprised by this. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize this going in. But as I've interviewed people and talked to people, the challenges are, are everywhere. Um, because really the school boards are, are directed from the center with one view. Exactly. And the problem is, is now that you have kids that are two years or more behind, and what happens, there'll be a high dropout rate. With a high dropout rate, That's right. you, have, you have more problems with sexual promiscuity, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, some that will enter into the sex trade, some will enter the drug trade. You have criminal recidivism, broken families, you know, fatherless children. This, simply because we closed our schools down for two years and these kids are lost. And unless we find a way to help these kids get back on path, we are looking at a whole segment of our society that will burst on the scene in the next few years and we have to fund the that. police at the same time? <laughs> You've got to defund the police now? Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hello, guys. we got a problem here. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree with that. For these kids where school is the safe place, especially those without the privileges and the advantages, um, I mean, kids were being abused at home. You know, reports of abuse went way down when schools were closed, not because kids weren't being abused, but because there was no one to see it and report it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I agree with you. I think the way people were thinking of this, the ones who were strongly advocating for closures, is that it's just this temporary thing. But it didn't take much empathy or insight to understand that for far too many, for all the reasons you've described, temporary. It would set them on a path toward, you know, w without opportunity, because education is that leg up to, you know, it's that ladder. It's that pathway out of, out of poverty. Um, and so I, I think you're right. I think um, the dropout rates are going to be high. I think, sadly, there's also going to be kids that just graduate. The schools just wave them through, but they don't have the basic skills. So they're still, you know, not well educated, even though they have graduated. Um, and, of course, you know, the mental, the mental health impacts persist as well. 
Well, I was watching an interview, and I'm sorry, I did not write this this one gentleman's name down. He was uh, from New York, I believe, uh, a doctor uh, of education, and he was saying that what a lot of the schools are doing so that they do qualify for the federal funding and state funding is they fudge the numbers where a student would be either a C or D student. They're making them a B or B plus so that their GPA, instead of being substandard, is now suddenly, oh, gee, about 3.2. Yet the, I believe the national average he said prior to the pandemic was 2.7. So we still had a low GPA because we were saddled with the federal government involved in our local school system, which we got to abolish the Department of Ed in the federal. That's a big must. Um, but now with the school closing, in order to make their funds and make their budget, they fudge the numbers and they pass kids that should never be passed. That's right. So, yes, they're going to graduate high school, but with what marketable skills? Zero. Yeah. And what does yes. that do? That a burden on us. That, yeah, I mean, that was the stated policy. I think, um, I think it was well publicized, for instance, um, about Newark, you know, Newark, New Jersey, that the policy was no F. It was a no F policy. So it didn't matter if the kids had no mastery of the subject matter, you were to pass them anyway, which does no favors for these kids because they can't do what they need to do in life to get jobs without the case. It should be mentioned also they're developmentally and emotionally behind. There's violence in the schools. There's fighting in the schools. They don't know how to be around each other. They're anxious. As your co-host mentioned, they, they don't know how to manage their emotions to the age level that they are. And so, you know, I, in San Francisco, where I used to live, um, the violence in the schools is really alarming as well. Um, so they're just not, even now that they're back, the conditions are not there for learning um, because the kids need help and it's not being provided. And they need an adult in the room. A lot of these teachers want to be the student's friend. No, 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 no. You are the adult. You're there to teach and to guide, not to be their friend. Uh, but the kids need an adult there to show them how to grow, how to interact with other kids, and to be able to say, no, Johnny, you sit down and do your homework now, or no, Johnny, you share that toy. But instead, you become a friend, and everyone has to get along and just be nice and just you got bad feelings, that's all right. We'll talk it out. Uh-uh, I'm sorry. You're responsible for your action. The kids have to learn. They are now responsible for their actions. And we're not getting this. We are not getting this at all. Yeah. And you have now, the parents yeah. want to be friends. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna add that. Everybody, every parent wants to be their child's best friend. But I think what these kids need and what we've heard from kids who have kind of muddled through this whole thing is they had an adult in their life, a parent and usually someone outside the family who had high expectations of them. Um, They needed that to believe that they could meet those expectations themselves. They had a coach in their life or a mentor or someone outside the family um, who set very high expectations and said certain behaviors were unacceptable. And the kids need that to aspire to living up to it. It doesn't mean you have to be mean or abusive or any of those things. But that's our job um, as, as the grown-ups in the room, to your point, is to set those expectations of, of educational attainment and also behavior uh, for our children. And that 
also not happening. And I think we do have to behave with empathy towards them now. They're really disoriented. They've been neglected. They've been told they're disease vectors. Um, if they suffered uh, depression, um, you know, they were told that was selfish because it's a pandemic. Darn it, you need to just do your part. So it's no surprise that these kids are suffering, and we need to handle it with empathy, but we also need to push them to get them back on track and help them help them catch up and then move beyond, you know, where where they even think they could be. And, and it's just not happening. It's not happening. I think that, you know, the big issue for me right now is we, won't, we don't even reach any consensus on the fact that these are the actual facts. You know, there's a lot of denial that this loss, this learning loss has happened because that would be an indictment of the closure policy. So the people that made those policies don't want to admit that it actually had this devastating impact. No, they always blame it on a different factor. Uh, and yeah. nine times out of ten, it's oh no, no, those those nasty people on the right, you know, you know their fault. No, 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 no. <laughs> We're trying to hold everyone, you know, <laughs> to create a civil society, uh, not a divided society. But that's the whole point. You divide, you conquer, you get your votes, you stay in office, and they don't care about anything else. So what happens? The weakest among us, the kids, are the ones that suffer, suffer the consequences. And somewhere yes, on the way, does, I it, think there's going to be a national awakening when these kids become adults and say, what, wait a minute, you taught me all this right. stuff was true, and now I'm finding the exact opposite? There's going to be a huge revolution. Yeah, I think it, um, this is a generational, generational issue, issue for sure. I mean, some kids will recover. They'll find their way back. But even if it's 10% that don't, that's a huge number, right? That's an absolutely mm-hmm. gigantic number. And I think it's actually bigger than that. Um, but even if it's just 10%, um, we have a generational crisis. I, I absolutely believe that. I think, I think that's correct. Man. Uh, your book is coming out on the 15th, correct? Yes, it's available for pre-sale now. Um, you can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or at or directly from the publisher at uh, levisonbutton.com. But it's for real sale on November 15th. Fantastic. And again, I have a link in the show that will go straight to the Amazon so that people can pre-order it. Um, is it on Kindle yet? Not yet, but it will be on on release day. It will be um, it will be available on Kindle then and audio if you prefer audio, which I do not, but some people do. <laughs> See, I, I'm old fashioned. I like the feel of a book in my hand, but I I've do. gotten accustomed to the Kindle because when I come to do an interview like yours, I can highlight and then just print out on my printer oh. all my notes. So it's a little easier than That's using good. stick-it notes, yeah. but I've been using stick-it yeah. notes instead for the hardcover, but now I'm, yeah. I'm getting a little custom to the Kindle. <laughs> yeah, I like the book in my hand, too. I, I did have a brief period where I read mostly on a Kindle because I liked that when I was traveling, if I finished my book, I could just download another one. It's very convenient. Yeah, it is. I, I've, I've become a little spoiled, so at first I was kind of anti-Kindle, uh, but I think I am now more Yeah, Kindle. I'm with you. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. It'll be available in all forms, and in fact, I'm doing that audio reading, which is quite a challenging process, but I'm doing it nonetheless. I thought it would be weird if a memoir was not in my voice. Ah, well then, uh, well, we got your voice here. <laughs> I don't have to listen to it yeah. further. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You can read. You can read on a Kindle. You can read on a book, however you want to do it. It'll be in all the forms. Well, then we'll definitely have to have you come back after the book has been released and hype it some more. How does that sound? I would love to. Thank you. It's been a great conversation. You had great, great questions. Definitely a, a longer form conversation, which I always appreciate. And the book I'll is really, you. I mean, just to, it, it is about, um, you know, what I went through in the last two years. But it, it's not, it's about more than that. It's about this sort of trend of woke capitalism. It's also about being a woman in corporate America for 30, close to 30 years. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a full fledged memoir in that regard. Well, I, I used to work for, um, well, I had my own business back in the 19th. Uh, and then I went to work for American <laughs> Express. <laughs> they recruited me. Uh, and back then in the eighties, I could see where the corporate uh, governance was starting to head towards wokeism. They would go around back then, would you like to have a portion of your check, uh, your paycheck, donated to any one of these charities? And they gave you a list. It was like a list of about 20 of them. And out of the 20, I only found two that I would have donated money to. All the other 18 or more were all for extremely liberal, social, woke uh, companies. They, they didn't call them that back then, but you knew. You know, like, I'm not giving money to Ben and Jerry's type of thing. Uh, I want my money to go to Samaritan's Purse, where I know it's going to do good for someone. You know, I just, I have that mindset. Uh, but when I saw the corporate world just heading in that direction, I was like, hmm, time to get out of corporate America. <laughs> and I fled. <laughs> Interesting you saw it that long ago. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly yeah. accelerated, as you pointed out. And I think it was probably called political correctness back then, but... Um, or at least that's what we called it. I started college in 1988, and that was what we called it then. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really built up steam in the last, you know, three to five years. Yeah. I, I'm just sending a message to my co-host to let him know that to try to get a hold of our next guest. Uh, but, yeah, it was, all, it right. was all the way back then. And I also saw it because when I left corporate America, I went into NYPD of all places, and it had already seeped into there. Uh, so it was, wow. it was seeping in around the edges, only now it's no longer just seeping in. It's taken over. And we've got to find ways to start thing. to counter it, to, to show America what is really going on, and people like you have their epiphanies and help spread the word. Yeah, hopefully. I just want people to be able to talk to each other, even if they disagree. I want us to be able to have the hard conversations. I think, you know, if you can't debate openly, you can't really find what the truth is. And ultimately, during COVID, what happened was consensus was manufactured because the dissenters were silenced and demonized. And that that just is it's too dangerous on every front. I think we would have reached very different conclusions if, if open debate were had. Ultimately. This is so very true, because I've done that with my neighbors, you know, and I've had a friend of mine sitting on the bar stool next to me, and the TV was on, I, I think it was Fox News or whatever it was way back when, and when I still was watching it, because <laughs> to show how well I knew. Um, 
and he started mm-hmm. he started getting upset about what was being said on the TV. And I looked up, and it was a conservative commentator making a comment. And he wasn't upset with what the commentator was. He was upset about the subject, and he was agreeing with the commentator. And this was a very liberal person, an attorney. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what? I've been telling you all along, we have more things in common than you know about. And the fact that we can sit here on the bar stools next to each other and discuss it, I said, that is what we need to do. And that was some 10 or 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah. But that's that's what we need to do is have that conversation. Yeah, and I've found, I have lots of friends who I disagree with on lots of stuff, but I I, I don't assume bad intentions. I listen with an open mind. Sometimes I change my mind. Sometimes I don't. And that's okay too. Either way, I have more empathy for having listened. So I don't know why that's so hard right now. That's the whole thing. You know, it's the law, the, the rule of law for thee, but not for me. So you have to listen to me and I don't have to listen to you. And we've got to stop that mentality. I agree. It has been a pleasure, and you have a very blessed time. And if I don't speak to you, happy Thanksgiving. That will be fun having the Thank conversation. Thank you. You as well. <laughs> Thank you. you. Yeah, you as well. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye-bye. Right. Enjoy. Take care. All right. Uh, Jennifer, say, check her out. Levi's Unbuttoned, the woke mob, took my job but gave me my voice. Uh well, check her out. Check her out there. Now, I do believe that Curtis has our next guest in there, and I'm waiting for him to bring him back on. And uh, we can have the conversation with Greg Cummings, if I can get his paperwork up forward and bring that forward. And we'll have a lot to talk about with Greg, because he's got a book out, Continue the Mission, a We the People Handbook Revised. And definitely is, Greg. Let me bring him on. Good afternoon, Greg. Welcome back again. Hello. Thank you for having me back again. Uh, this this has been one heck of a day. I can't believe. Whoa, the whole the whole day is just going so, so fast. Anyway, we started talking about your book the last time, and unfortunately we didn't have enough time uh, to go over it uh, thoroughly or whatever. But talk about a perfect timing to tell people how to bring our nation back to the republic our founding fathers had had intended and we're seeing the left people on the left starting to wake up they're they're awoke in a different way in what was originally intended and this wokeism that we have from the left is not working out too well it seems lately isn't it no it's not not at all And a perfect example was our previous guest and how she got the woke mob, took her job, and then she was able to now write her book about it and show where she got her epiphany. But with so much so that I don't know if you saw the Bill Maher clip about the Halloween costume, and it was hysterical. And he just tore apart the wokeism of these young people today, uh, everything from uh, uh, F. Patrick. Patrimony, you know, how, hey, listen, mommy and daddy pay for everything for you. And yet, in the other hand, is a check for mommy and daddy to help pay for your car. You know, the wet towel for crying and everything else. It was hysterical. Uh, But even the people on the left are saying, this has gone too far. It's got to stop. And your book is telling how people can start to get together 
start to have that conversation and get some action going. Tell us about it. Yes, with, yes, without a doubt. I, I was asked many times, Greg, what else can we do other than vote? I identified a lot of problems. Um, so I'm going to identify the problems first, and then I'll let you know this is what led in into writing this book. So, so the number one problem is we the people as a whole. Number one, we're so divided. There's a reason for that. It's in the book. And um, but usually when I talk to folks, I ask them to close their eyes and picture the person that they blame the most about the conditions that our country is in today. And so usually I'll get hands up and usually they'll tell me, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, Biden, Obama, Bush, uh, Reagan or whoever, right? And, 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 and then I stop them and, and then I tell them who I blame the most. I say, I see my own face because the first 20 years of my adult life, I could care less about politics. It was boring. It, it's frustrating. It was dry reading. I, I just didn't want to um, be, be, be engaged at all. And when we, the people, were given the blessing of being the hierarchy of our republic, which we were, it, it was never, ever done before in human history, ever. Uh, it's a brand-new type of government. And it was created, George Washington called it the Great American Experiment for a reason, for that very reason. And he said it, 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 it's going to take a righteous people to be able to, to uh, keep this, this republic going. Well, we the people, from the very beginning till now, has, has, has been uh, fighting uh, um, the corruption mindset been fighting those that have been trying to keep us divided it's all about power and control to keep we the people out of control to put to the government well the government or the constitution was written not to tell the people how to act under this government the constitution was written to tell the government what it cannot do to the people and we had forgotten that and so um People ask me, well, Greg, what else can we do other than vote? So I decided to write a book about it, a handbook, and that's what I did. And in this, it has everything from our three sacred documents at the very beginning, the the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. But throughout it, I I, I put in key parts of, of where the individual can begin to assess and uh, prepare themselves from there to then work on preparation of their family and then preparations of their home and their property. And then after that, and it's all in there on how to prepare all those levels, but then how to start networking and uniting with the people around your neighborhood and what that looks like. And, 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 and how we have to work from the ground up. That's why grassroots was given so, so um, much attention during the, 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 the Tea Party days because it is important. It is the key element for this republic to restore itself, is to restore the power and control back to the people. So my handbook explains how to do that at every level. 
if you want to uh then after just just trying to unite and 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 uh, build your network uh from yourself to how to start your own local group how what's the uh best practices on 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 doing just that it's all in there uh to to uh, con- uh cre- creating a communications network and every level of communication from the, the word of mouth technique that's very specific that if we um uh have have our phones and 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 computers and everything like that taken away from a natural disaster or EMP or whatever the scenario that 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 this word of mouth technique on its own uh will prove a huge be- benefit but on, on top of that there's uh best practices in communicating with your social me- media uh your 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 talk radio shows your your newspapers your the 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 tv news and so on and so forth it's all in there it's a checklist it's a how do and best practices that has been proven over many years i've worked uh probably the last 22 years um being engaged in in in, in the uh, local, state, and federal level of politics in all 50 states. Uh, I've been to all 48 lower states, but still have worked with uh, Hawaii and Alaska uh, through phone and and uh, Zoom and and uh, tel- and telephone. But anyway, so all this is in the book to include also key points that people need to understand. What is the difference between a democracy, which we are not supposed to be, and a republic, which we are supposed to be? What's the difference between diversity versus university, and why is that important to the unity of uh, of the people? And I'm telling you that university is the key, not diversity. Um, and it's in my book. Um, well, you know, there's so well, much. I, I had been a, a real big... Uh, uh, not, I shouldn't say official, you know, but I was really uh, very much into learning about the founding of the United States, having graduated during the bicentennial, and you know it was all the rage. Uh, but I always yeah. was fascinated with our revolution and the founding principles behind it. Uh, so I was always a little bit ahead of the curve, uh, and I was very pleasantly surprised that you had remembered about the Iroquois chief that went to uh, Constitutional Hall, and I believe it was Philadelphia at the time, uh, and he, he did the um, speech before the Continental Congress and used yeah. the teaching method of you know, one arrow compared to a bunch of arrows tied together with a common cause. And very, very few people understand. They say, well, the United States was founded by these old white men. Not exactly true. Not exactly no. true. It was the unification of all different types of people, black, white, Native American, Christian, Jewish. Uh, it had a, a diverse group of people that helped in the founding. Not, not just the, I'm not talking about the continent of Congress, but the men and women that actually were on the battlefield fighting for freedom. And even though women didn't have the right to vote or a voice in government, they, many of them stood by their men or went disguised as men to fight in the Revolutionary War, which very few people pay attention to. 
so, you know, the yeah. founding of this nation was not by a bunch of old white men. It was by everyone no. getting together, and 10% of the population fought the revolution. But look at what they gave us. Yep. And it's because of the writing of the Constitution that that eventually women came to equal status in, 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 in our society and, and, and slavery was what was fought against and 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 and, and uh eliminated uh it's because of that the pe- people like langston hughes the famous black poet who said america the land that never has been yet but yet must be understood the words of the con frederick douglas who was the uh um, i don't want to say assistant but a a uh a guide for four different presidents he said uh that a couple things. One, one, one of the favorite things, and, and and I have a T-shirt that I had this put on. It says, "I I will fight alongside anybody to do right and nobody to do wrong." But Frederick Douglass understood. Uh, he was born a slave and became a free man, and and then was a guy for four different presidents because he understood the Constitution back and forth, and 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 he. He he very much championing the uh, founders' in, in inspirations to uh, form that. And the Iroquois Nation, uh, it's more than just them being a part of developing the Constitution. The whole concept of the United States of America came from the Iroquois Nation. The Iroquois Nation was made up of eight different tribes that governed. Each tribe was sovereign to themselves had their own governance within each tribe, which is different. It varied between each each tribe. But they came together in mat, in matters of survival or defense, right? So um, this is what Benjamin Franklin, who 40 years prior to the Constitutional Convention, uh, sat down with, 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 with the chief. And um, – uh, that's where that famous speech comes from that, that you just mentioned with with with, with the arrows because he showed that uh, no 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 government should have control over the people. That's 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 up to the tribe. So the whole idea, the whole concept of that idea, of the states are sovereign to themselves. The states are governed by their own varied laws that they come up with themselves. But in the manner of survival and, and, and defense, they all become the United States of America. And, and uh, that's, in that mindset is what the Constitution was written, to tell the government what it cannot do to the people. Yeah, and then but anyway, so, would someone all, be, I was going to say, would someone be kind enough to let Hillary Clinton know she was not the first female to run for president of the United States? It was Emily Woodhull who had selected Frederick Douglass as her running mate to be vice president. So the first black man running for the office, mm, Frederick Douglass, even though he wasn't aware of it until afterwards. <laughs> but Emily <laughs> Woodhull was the first female, and it was the precursor to the Republican Party. So, hello, Hillary, you're not the first. No. <laughs> and the left will continue to do that. The left will continue to lie and rewrite history and try to come up with things to eliminate because this this is the goal. Uh, and I just had this conversation with someone yesterday. Um, everybody wonders who they are, um, which will probably take too much time, but I'd love to come back 
and, and explain that, but that's in my book as well. But anyway, um, they have, 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 have did everything that they could um, and, and still are to uh, take complete power and control over the planet, okay? And the only thing that stands in the way, there's three obstacles that stand in the way. The Constitution of the United States, and this is for global rule. These three things stand in the way. The Constitution of the United States can flag, which represents the patriotism and love of our country in our Constitution, and the unity of we the people. Those three things. That's why they keep undermining uh, any effort to unify the people as a whole because that takes away power and control away from those uh, pe- people who are trying to gain it all for the entire planet. And that's why we hear man versus woman, black versus white, rich versus poor, religious versus pagan, whatever they can come up with that puts one demographic against another demographic and identify the American people in demographics instead of one people, e pluribus unum, from the many one, we the people. Well, you know, it's very ironic because um, when the mainstream media decided to paint us instead of being Republican states or, or Democratic held states. They said red states versus blue states. And I found it at the time they did this, the, the very day they did this, you knew the Democratic Party was behind mainstream media making this decision. Blue is the color of loyalty. Blue is the color of calmness. Red is the color of disunity. Red is the color of anger. So what better way to to demonize your opponent by painting them a certain color designed to make them be unwelcoming to you, to your attitude, to your thinking. So are you going to go with the color that speaks of loyalty, of calmness? You know, blue seas, blue skies, calm, nice, blue, the, the fields of blue for loyalty and unity on their American flag. But now red, yep. uh-uh, red coats, enemy, red anger, red disunity, red blood. So, you know, right. the so, Republicans as the bad, as the bad people. Yeah, that's exactly the the um, method that they use. You remember back, um, uh, I'm going to talk in general, there's so many details, but, but back during the, the 60s when the hippie re- revolution first started, at the very infancy stage of the hippie movement, it was about unity and love of all people and 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 coming together, right? And we saw commercials uh, back then and and even into the early seventies of uh, like the Coca-Cola commercial. You know, we like to teach the world the thing of all the different colors and demographics. It, it it wasn't hyphenated. It wasn't compartmentalized. They were all mixed on the hill singing that Coca-Cola song because unity meant something. Um, we saw McDonald's commercials all the time of, of uh, um, all different races working together, talking about unity, and, and, and there was talk at that time of taking off of our applications and stuff like that to color your skin because, it, you know, and, 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 and taking it off of the consensus because uh, that wasn't important to the people then. But then the Marxist, leftist, also infiltrated and used that 
that beginning of the the, the peace revolution and changed it in in, in and morphed it into uh, uh, some, some, something that was more Marxist, some, something that was a lot more more com- communist than than this, and started to demonize the flag and demonize uh, the Constitution, just like they are today. Yeah, well, the infiltration of the Black Panthers, Marxist organ- organization, the Red Brigade, you can yeah. go down the whole list. Uh, yeah. You know, the you K- can K- just... Well, it's all part of the same mentality. Yeah, yeah, and if you can divide the people, as I was saying to a previous guest, if you can divide them, you make them weak, and then you get yourself voted into office over and over and over again because it's about power, about you having that position, whether it's in Congress or in the Senate or in as president, you are the seat of power now, and look what it's given us. An administration as, such as Obama's, administration just like Joe Biden, where now it's more tyranny than freedom. And Obama opened the door and why there wasn't a bigger uproar when they went after the Tea Party people, Lois Lerner and the IRS. Uh, my yeah. friends, uh, I had three friends <laughs> from the Tea Party that testified before Congress. Joe Dugan has recently passed away uh, about the uh, harassment of the Tea Parties because they became 501c3s. The second they did yeah, that, exactly. they opened the door for government intervention, which is why I've kept my Tea Party alive since 2009 by not being a 501c3, by being a loosely associated group of, of friends. And this is something that people have to realize, because uh, I noticed you mentioned the 501c3s in your book. Um, how did. much government interference do you want? Uh, they cannot demand that I turn over you know, a list of my email because it's a group of friends. What do they have to do with anything? So what? We have right. our like-minded. We meet. We greet. We, we share thoughts. We share ideas. We have people come and speak. But we're not at a, a, a 501c3 or a 501c4. No. So I'm, I'm hands off, and I survive. Um, but this is something people have to think about if they want to form these groups. Just how much do you want leeway in what you do? Because then if you are incorporated – you're limited into how you advertise um, and how you uh, publish your your stuff, who you support. You're going to be limited based upon how you form that 501c3. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and, um, uh, and I put in there, it's totally up, up to you, but it's just as easy because that's what we do as well and we still do today. But we operate as a a nonprofit, but um, we just don't register as any government in- entity. And um, uh, you can say you're a group. You can say that it's a meeting group or what or or whatever. That's why I put in the book. It's a We the People group, and and I explain best practices and everything on how 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 to start one, how to name one. The, uh, Every aspect that you can think of, uh, I, I, I give best practices for that. Yeah, and you break it down to phases. You, know, you have a four-phase uh, structure on that to tell them how to go about doing that, um, which is interesting. And I, I also found it very interesting. I couldn't figure out how this happened to me, You know, how I got involved in the Tea Party. I guess because I've always been vocally active 
Um, <laughs> I had my first editorial published uh, less than one month out of graduating high school. And it was in a major New York tri-state newspaper, and it was below the fold. And I said, here I am. I'm only 18 years old. I haven't even gone and voted yet, and yet a major New York newspaper. And somewhere around the house, I know I have a copy of, of the article, of the editorial I did. But I've always been doing something. With it. it was never with a group before. So when they came and started to join the Tea Party, formed the Tea Parties back in 2009, for some reason my name popped up. And every time someone comes into the state and says, well, who do we talk to? For some reason my name keeps popping up. But if you are active, if you do show up at your county council, your city council, your school board, you write the editorials, people are going to know your name. They're going to know what you stand for. And people will find it easier to rally around you if they know what you stand for. Yes, and and I want to throw some clarity out, out there about the Tea Party. So the Tea Party um, isn't a a um, uh, type of people like. Did we just? What happened? The oh. the 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 Tea Party. Hello. Yeah, you're you're back. Um, my co-host okay, kind of like sorry. hit the wrong button. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, so um, the Tea Party is a movement of the people. It is the MAGA movement. Prior to the MAGA movement, the Tea Party movement. Prior to the Tea Party movement was the Ron Paul movement. Prior to the Ron Paul movement was Ross Perot movement, and before that, the Reagan movement, and et cetera. Every so, every other generation or so, the people begin to wake up and, and, and protest against the tyranny coming upon the freedoms that they are supposed to have. So it creates a, a groundswell, a grassroots movement of the people. And with each wave that I just mentioned, after that wave was over, only a third, about, about a third of that wave stays active. The rest goes home until the next wave, right? And the same thing currently with this mag movement. Mag movement isn't a a, a Trump cult. It isn't a, a a Trump movement. It's a movement of the people that's supporting Trump in his efforts. But it's not not uh, uh, a just one group of organized people. It is a, a groundswell of of we the people waking up to the yeah. tyranny that brought upon us, and we're fighting back. Absolutely. And people can find all this information in your new book uh, that they can get uh, from your website, Continue the Mission, uh, We the People, uh, Handbook Revised. You're also the founder of Legal Shield. But, Gregory, we're out of time. I've got my final guest in in the bullpen here, and you're always welcome to come back in on the this, on this show anytime. Yes, please. Two things real, real quick. Um, it, it, make sure you get the revised edition because it is the – one that I added so much more information in. And uh, once you get it and read it, please share it and write a review on it. Thanks. All right. Take care, Greg. We'll be talking again. You can get it from Amazon as well. Okay, bye. Oh, yes. Take care. Greg Cummings, check out his book, uh, We the People uh, is out there. And I want to welcome from the Heritage Foundation, Carson Stellman. Carson is uh on Heritage Action, and she does a podcast over there. You're press secretary for Heritage over there, and welcome aboard. Yes, thanks so much for having me. 
Yeah. Now, tell us what Heritage Action is. We know Heritage Foundation. We know the Daily Signal. What is Heritage Action and what does Heritage Foundation do with Heritage Action and your role in it? Yes. So I'm the press secretary at Heritage Action, which is the grassroots lobbying arm of the Heritage Foundation. So we rely on the uh, research and the analysis and the experts over the Heritage Foundation, and we turn that into um, policy on the state and the federal levels. Um, so we key vote legislation in Congress, meaning um, we score lawmakers based on how conservative their votes are. And then on the state side, we lobby on uh, different bills there, which is a relatively new endeavor for us, um, but we've been working a lot with education freedom and school choice, election integrity, and ESG now. Uh, ESG is a really making its ugly head rear. Uh, matter of fact, I believe, was it Missouri that pulled out of, um, oh, good Lord, uh, I just saw a commercial, a black um, Oh, good, the investment firm. BlackRock. There's been a number Thank of you. states, um, double yes. digits now. Yeah, they, they've actually divested their state funds from BlackRock um, because uh, financial institutions like BlackRock have just gone completely woke with these environmental social governance standards. Um, so now the states are taking action. They're saying that they're not going to invest their state's money or their state's pensions into funds that are actively working against them, whether that be, um, you know, working towards some sort of woke social issue like abortion on demand uh, or governance with their, um, you know, alleged but kind of fake diversity quotas that actually discriminate against certain people. Um, And um, a lot of them actually boycott fossil fuels, which a lot of these state economies rely really heavily on. Um, So so they're taking action at the state level to make sure that that their funds are, are not going into something that their state opposes. Now, it's funny, they're boycotting fossil fuels, but where are they getting their ink and toner from for their copy machines? Oh, by the way, where are they getting their copy machines, which require petroleum? Oh, their desks, uh, their computers, their smart devices, their clothing. Uh, wait a minute, you, you want to ban, you know, drilling? Uh, yeah. And what are you going to be wearing, a bear skin from now on? <laughs> oh, wait a minute, we can't do that because Peter will go after you. <laughs> Right. It's complete nonsense, but unfortunately, that's just one example of what the left is now doing um, in the name of uh, climate activism, and it's completely, um, you know, torn apart our economy, uh, and it's only getting started. So we're trying to fight back at the state uh, and the local levels as well as the federal levels to make sure that uh, we're doing everything we can to stand up for conservative principles, American values, make sure that families have, you know, an opportunity in the future, that their children are not being indoctrinated with CRT or, or that woke transgender ideology in schools, uh, or that the border is secure and they don't have to worry about crime spiking in their communities. There's there's a whole host of things that uh, the left has failed the American people on. And, and what we're doing here at Heritage Action is making sure um, that the state, the local, and the federal officials and the grassroots activists in all of these communities have what they need to make a difference. Well, you know, one of the things uh, I came across on the Heritage Action site was battling Biden's climate regulation. And a friend of mine, I can't believe it's been five years now since we met each other, uh, Gregory Wrightstone, the founder of the CO2 Coalition, uh, he was on. And 
I forgot I had pulled this up. I would have asked him about it. Uh, but Biden has a new climate rule that is wrecking havoc over businesses, especially small businesses. And you guys are fighting it, which it also includes the ESG score. Now, explain to people what the ESG score is. Uh, most people do know, but there are a segment out there that don't understand this. And they throw this around, uh, the new alphabet soup out there, uh, that you say, oh, ESG, well, whatever that is. But it's becoming more important than a credit score. Right. Essentially, ESG is a social credit score, similar to what they have in China, which sounds a little dramatic, but it's true. So basically what they do is they grade companies uh, on this criteria, ESG, so environmental, social, and governance. Uh, So if you are a company and you support something radical like abortion on demand up until the point of birth, then they might give you a higher score. But if you work with what they call dirty fossil fuels, they might give you a lower score. If your board is, you know, only, you know, it's small, so it's only one man, or if you're not, um, um, if you don't have, like, diverse members on the board from different Race, racial backgrounds and maybe your score goes down. Uh, and, and obviously every company is different, but it doesn't just affect um, different companies. It affects people applying for loans or, you know, perhaps in the future trying to open a bank account. So if you don't have the high enough ESG scores or if you aren't woke enough in the left eyes, then you might not qualify to participate in the American economy, which is completely unacceptable. Yeah, and it stands for equity. Uh, social justice environmental, and governance. social and governance. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought it was equity. Environmental, social justice, and governance. And uh, it, it's ironic that someone like me or you that stands and speaks out against certain things and in support of, say, pro-life, in support of drilling, uh, and trying, even though we do say, all right, fine, let's find alternative energy sources, yes, however... Let's not give up what's working now and that what is affordable. Uh, we're turning around and saying, well, I'm sorry, I'm not buying an electric car yet because they have a tendency to have the batteries catch fire as soon as they get submerged in a flood. Uh, no, I'm not completely thrilled about that. Uh, so, you know, here we are on the conservative side of issues. Because we are, we will be penalized for what we think, what we feel, and what we say. Talk about shutting people down. Yeah, and it even goes further than that with the Bidens. uh, It's actually going to the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is, you know, not an expert on climate change, Um, but it's going through them. And what they're trying to do is force companies, businesses to disclose how often they talk about climate change or even if they do business with other companies uh, that have, a lower environmental rating. So it's not just, you know, are you environmentally friendly? It's do you work with people who are environmentally friendly? Are you constantly talking about climate change and all these other woke, you know, climate activism things? And it's just not feasible. This is not what the American economy is supposed to work or supposed to look like. So we have all these, you know, woke leftists trying to dictate not only what we say, what we do, what we think, but also how we do business. And and that's not going to work. No, but you do have things such as Mammoth Nation uh, popping up, Red Balloon, that are fighting back against it and saying, well, fine, you know, if you want to work with companies that think and do things the same way, you know, here is a group of us. So there is a counterpunch to it, but this wokeness has gotten to the point where 
if you want to keep your job, if you want to be able to refinance or even purchase a home, if you want to have that bank account. And heaven forbid um, you have a PayPal account because now if you give out what they consider misinformation, they will fine you $2,500 and take the money out of your PayPal account. So without even realizing that you may have crossed them the wrong way, you may have your bank account rated by PayPal because you have a PayPal card or a PayPal account or your bank account is linked to PayPal. And, hey, what happens to me where I'm paying for my broadcast subscription to have the ability to talk to you and get the message out with a PayPal credit card? Oh, gee, am I going to find myself now being banned? You might (laughs) because basically – this started with big tech, too. So big tech tried deplatforming conservatives, trying to take their voice away from the digital public square. And now you have these banks trying to actually debank people, so remove them from um, Internet commerce, remove them from, you know, the economy altogether. So this is just a way of establishing control for the left over the American people, forcing them um, to go along with their radical agenda, even if they don't believe it. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's just completely overtaking all aspects of life and the economy. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of these states start to fight back in different ways. And they're using their state treasurers in a lot of ways to do that. But I also think there could be opportunities at the federal level, at least to fight back against the Biden administration when they do things like this SEC rule. So what we did at Heritage Actions, we launched a comment portal. Uh, the comments are now closed, unfortunately, but Back when they had the public comment period open, we facilitated thousands of comments through that portal speaking, you know, out back against the SEC and the Biden administration for trying to do something like this. And it's not just ESG that we've been doing this for. We've done this on a host of other um, different rule proposals from the Biden administration because they've been weaponizing the federal rulemaking process, which is pretty complex. Uh, And it's not something that the American people regularly engage with. So we're trying to change that. We're trying to make it easier for the American people to have their voice heard through these comment portals to make sure that the Biden administration doesn't use the federal bureaucracy to keep pushing these policies on people. Now, what is this H.R. 4, the federal veto of state election laws? Uh, This is something that no one's been talking about, and the first time I've heard of this, I know that they've been making this massive push for the federal takeover of the elections, and even had people on the right side of the aisle pushing for more federal control over states, a way in which they conduct their election, uh, which is unconstitutional completely in complete violation of the Constitution. So what is this back door they're trying to go through? Yeah, this is just another one of the same sort of tactics that they've been using to push for federal takeover elections, like you mentioned. Um, So they're throwing everything they can at the wall and seeing what sticks when it comes to uh, election policy. But at the same time, they're not working with conservatives to actually find real common ground for election integrity measures, which you're right, should happen at the state level. Instead, when states pass election integrity measures like voter ID or uh, if they purge their outdated voter registration rules or if they increase penalties for voter fraud, the Democrats are actually calling that voter intimidation and calling it racist or homophobic or, or whatever slur they like to pick that day. But they're not actually interested in securing your vote at the ballot box like conservatives are. They're just interested in having control over the process. 
And in some cases, they are succeeding. In other cases, we're succeeding. And uh, I swear, we've got the best attorney general, uh, Alan Wilson, who happens to be a friend of mine. Um, his dad was my uh, state senator, no, state representative for a long time. Uh, Joe's also a sweetheart. Um, but DAs out of South Carolina, Georgia, not DA, uh, attorney generals, AGs. Uh, out of South Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Florida, and other like-minded red states have been succeeding. 27 different AGs have been fighting back against that. But we also need the power of the Heritage Action and our voice to help support it uh, by making the comments, by pushing the information out, and by supporting Heritage. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, South Carolina has been a state we've been involved with on a number of issues, uh, including election integrity and on our, or actually it's through the Heritage Foundation, but the Heritage Foundation has a election integrity scorecard, and South Carolina is towards the top of that list, ranking fifth overall. Number four. So, um, no, number four. It's, th- it's five now. Um, but oh, no. it's still very good. It's still very, very, well, that just means other states are getting better, too. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, you guys are doing a great job when it comes to election integrity. Uh, and your neighbors to the south in Georgia um, are, have also done a great job, even despite the attacks from the left calling um, their new election integrity law, you know, Jim Crow 2.0, whatever uh, they want to call it. It's actually completely worked for the state of Georgia, and you've actually seen record voter turnout on the state, too. So I think that is just more proof that the election integrity measures that you have in South Carolina or Georgia uh, or in Florida or in other states across the country are, are really effective. So we need to keep fighting for that. Well, I got to tell you, quite honestly, the the move behind election integrity here in South Carolina started pre-pandemic uh, by a group of my friends. I'm on the executive committee for the county GOP, and it was our county, Beaufort County, that put together the package, took it up to Columbia, broke down what they had, what they were proposing, showed all the weak spots, and said, this is how you close it. So Beaufort County, that election integrity law that was passed and signed by Governor McMaster's is known as the Beaufort County law. That's great. That That's great. Absolutely. That's the type of activism that we need in all of, in all 50 states. So, you know, keep up the good work and, and encourage everybody and all of your listeners join along too. Um, everything happens at the grassroots level when it comes to the states. And we've really been able to make progress on everything from ESG to election integrity to education freedom as well. So, there's a lot more we can do, and, and we're just getting started in South Carolina and other states. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, just starting to lose my voice here. Now, there's also HR1 and S1, <clears throat> where Pelosi is trying to go after the electoral system. They've been trying to abolish the electoral college uh, or change it to the uh, popular vote. And we stopped the popular vote legislation here in South Carolina. Uh, and I know um, a friend of mine had been running a website. Uh, he was running it out of North Carolina, tracking the popular vote. <clears throat> what is? Where do we stand now with that? Yeah, I, they're still pushing for it, but I think it's going to be very hard for them to continue those efforts once uh, conservatives retake the House and hopefully the Senate as well next week. Um, so they're still pushing for it, but you know we're we're steadfast in our opposition and. 
um, you know, we'll, we'll block them at every chance we get to try to push these election reforms on people. Instead of, you know, H.R. 1 being a federal takeover elections, we actually want to see border security be the next H.R. 1 for the next Congress. Uh, we just see that as the number one issue that is affecting countries, not even or states, not even just border states, but all across the country. Every state really is a border state. So we want to pivot away from that H.R. 1 election federal takeover to something that's actually meaningful to the American people and that will secure our border and make sure our, our communities are safe. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge if. <clears throat> but what we have to do is also get local law enforcement to work in conjunction with the federal government, with the uh, Department of Homeland Security, with ICE, to identify criminal illegal aliens in our midst. So if law enforcement comes across someone in a criminal investigation process and they are the criminal, to be able to notify ICE so that we can get them tried and then deported. Uh, a lot of a lot of local states and a lot of local uh, municipalities will not work with the federal government, and we've got to get that cooperation to go back again. Yeah, and I think a big part of that are these rogue prosecutors that are popping up all over the country and in and, and big cities for sure, but also in smaller communities and counties. Um, so they're, they're refusing to work with the judges. They're refusing to work with law enforcement. Uh, so they've really kind of made themselves like the linchpin of this defund the police activity. So they've they figured out, and so have you know people like George Soros figured out that if they control these prosecutors and DAs, then they can push their soft on crime approach, and that includes immigration. Um, so if you have an illegal immigrant who's accused of a crime, uh, they can either refuse to report their, their illegal status or they can lead them down from, you know, maybe a violent assault to something simple uh, that doesn't actually force deportation. So that's a huge part of this, and I would encourage everybody to look into their local DAs and, and check and see um, what their policies are because a lot of times it's hard to tell um, if it's a nonpartisan election, but if they're using terms like reimagining prosecution or if they're, um, you know, perpetuating the soft on crime approach, that's, that's an election to really get involved in. Uh, the left has been spending tons of money in these races trying to push these rogue prosecutors in these seats. But it's something that the American people, just like we fought back with school boards and replacing all the um, woke school boards, we can do the same thing with these rogue DAs. Well, what I found amazing in this election cycle, um, that I, because I know the players within my state, uh, when I see some of these ads come up, and I love my mom, she's 90, and she was looking at this ad, and she says, well, this person looks really good, the way they talk. We're finding a lot of these Democrats could mimic the t- talking points of a conservative, make themselves sound conservative. But in, in fact, you've got yourself in a highly liberal progressive Democrat that is running for a seat to take away from a Republican. And you've got to be careful to, to actually vet who you're going to vote for. And most people go into the booth – uh, don't do that. They said, well, I saw the commercial. Commercial looked good without knowing actually who the person is. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's become a really common thread with a lot of these more, even if they're more moderate Democrats, they're, they're really not. And they've been doing running ads in states all across the country, a lot in Virginia, uh, Arizona with Mark Kelly in that Senate race against Blake Masters. Um, they've been doing the same thing, pretending like they, they've been standing up to Biden on the border or that they're um, you know, they're hard on crime and they're going to, 
make sure everyone's safe. And it, it's really all a lie. You have to look at their voting records, what types of legislation they've supported. Have they been voting if it's a congressional race? Have they been voting with Pelosi? Uh, if it's a senatorial race, have they been voting with Biden? Uh, and if it's a local level, what kind of local ordinances, what kind of state bills have they been supporting or carrying? So you really have to do your research. It's unfortunate that a lot of these leftists will will lie about their record, but uh, the, Democrats, uh, the Republicans have done a really good job, I think, of trying to point that out as well. But definitely you have to look beyond the commercials and really look into their voting record. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I can't believe we're down to our last few minutes on, on the show, and today has just flown by. Wow. And it's so much fun speaking with you because, you know, Tom sends me the best of the best coming out of Heritage. And actually, I don't think there's anyone bad in Heritage. <laughs> but it's so much fun. <laughs> Not that having I've one of you guys. <laughs> it's so much fun having one of you guys on each and every sh- uh, show each week. Uh, it is a blessing that the amount of work that Heritage does out there and the things for us to learn and to help work with you on that, that we can actually take these things off of Heritage and bring them down to our local community meeting or share them around the dinner table or when you go out to have a few beers, say, hey, listen, were you aware about X, Y, Z? And and have a true grassroots movement to help restore our republic. I mean, you're also going after the Title IX rule. And I remember... Growing up as a young woman, you know, go, it's about time we get fair play. You know, the guy teams are getting all the money and they're getting the better equipment. And here we are working with stuff that's 30, 40 years old. About time we get an equal share. And now all of a sudden that's being pulled away from us because of this new mm, sexual dysphoria, gender dysphoria, whatever you want to call it, uh, is now allowing men to compete as women. And it's destroying many of women's sports. What's what's the point yeah, of going just, for a college? Uh, 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 what do you call it? Oh, am I having major brain farts? <laughs> like scholarships, scholarships and, and different Thank opportunities. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they they've completely taken that away from women. It's completely unfair. We were also really instrumental in the Title IX rulemaking process, and all of that is also available on um, HeritageAction.com. We have different toolkits, whether it's ESG or Title IX. Um, Or even in some cases for certain topics, we have model state legislation. So if you really want to lobby your state lawmakers, we have tons of resources to do that. If you want to run for school board, we have resources and trainings to do that. So um, there there are countless ways to get involved. Of course, the best way to get involved is to vote. But beyond that, Heritage Action is definitely here for for you to um, keep going. And people can find it at heritage.org. We're down to our last four minutes. And when is your podcast on that people can catch it at Heritage Action? Yeah, so so it's on on social media once a week. Uh, we vary the days just depending on the news cycle. Um, but we should have an episode coming out Monday morning at 6 a.m., um, but then it will air on social media throughout the day and the week. So stay tuned for that. We'll be breaking down Biden's speech that he made at Union Station this week, uh, and I'll kind of walk through his record of being divider-in-chief rather than commander-in-chief. So it, it'll be a pretty good episode. Well, it is, has been an absolute pleasure having you on with us, Carson, and we welcome you back anytime. And God bless you for the hard Absolutely. work you're doing over there at Heritage. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Take All right. care. Take care. All right. Uh, check out Carson Stellman over at the Heritage Action at Heritage.org. Um, 
That's all we got, Curtis. We're inside our last three minutes now. Yeah, um, we will so have Bob Tapscott from the Epic Times again, and again next week, another member from Heritage. And don't forget, Tuesday is and a the former election. Congress. Yep, and a former yeah, Congress. Ted Yoho will be here. Oh, yes, Ted Yoho will be back again next week. Um, so we got early voting in most states. Uh, check it out. Uh, make sure you know that you are registered. Make sure you know where your proper polling place is. And election day is Tuesday, so I'm putting mom in the car with her walker. I'm taking her over, pull up to the handicap, and make sure she votes. So make sure even your loved ones go out and vote. So with that, I leave you, everyone. And if you see any if you see any funny stuff, report it. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to leave you with a song from my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. So get out and vote, folks. Let's save America. So I say good night and God bless. We'll see you uh, next Friday, same bad time, same bad station. All right.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.